This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Aminio left the building. Guerrero lifts one to left field, and gone! Otani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Uh, something struck me yesterday, and that was for you if you're watching on YouTube or you're watching on Twitter. And of course, you can stream athletics.com slash acecast, which you are right now if you're listening. Something that really, I knew it was going to be fascinating, and if you guys didn't get to hear it, are we going to be putting Ray, all of Ray Fossey's interviews on A's cast? Uh, I mean, we can do it. I have a lot, the ones we played so far and the ones I want to play. We I should have just a- have a – we should do a – I was thinking about this. Obviously, it was very early in the morning. If you guys didn't wake up or you had to go to work or you had to go to school, whatever you had rolling, you weren't able to listen, totally understand. It was breakfast with Townie on a uh, Tuesday. It was early, so we aired that game was what ten 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 yeah. So we would have aired that about nine twenty ish. No, the first segment is like only like three minutes, so it would have been before, around nine twenty, a little bit before nine twenty. And it's Ray and Sparky Anderson from the eighties, and the whole interview, like I could have really broke down all, taken, cut up all of Sparky's answers that he did with Ray and cut them up and go, man, this tells you so much about the history of the game, good and bad. And you might be saying, what the hell are you talking about? Well, Sparky was complaining about the baseballs in the 80s. Now, I'm assuming that a lot of you listening right now probably weren't even alive in the 80s, or if you were, you were very young. Commander, what year were you born? 1988. So there's a good chance. You know what what year that was with Sparky? It was actually 1995. It was 95? Yeah. No, it was even the 80s. It was 95. Oh, it sounded like the 80s. Be- wow. Is be- it- because in, in this the is worse than I thought. Because in the interview, you hear Sparky say, "Well, I know the A's are not playing well." That's right. Tony. He's, he's talking about Griffey, and he's talking about Tony Larusa and how oh. bad the team is in '95. Okay, but still, it's still troubling that what he was talking about. It was, actually is <laughs> more troubling because to- <laughs> because not from the baseball. He was bitching about the baseball. Then it's mid '90s. He's bitching about the baseball. We all been complaining about the baseball. 2022. We're still complaining about the baseball. Yes, <laughs> but. This is what's really scary is how he was complaining about how teams are wearing multiple uniforms now because they want to sell the game. Like, it kind of shows you how archaic baseball people were. I was going to give them the benefit of the doubt that this was the 80s. This is mid-90s. You wonder why the NFL and the NBA flew right past Major League Baseball? Because you got these dinosaurs with the – they really had this belief that baseball was its own world. That 
it was about this game that's played for nine innings and that everything that happens in between these lines is sacred, should be cherished, and should be left alone for what its greatness is and everything around it, I don't have time to bother with it. It really tells you that here we are in 95, right? You said it was 95? Yeah, 1995. That's my last year of baseball at San Jose State. That's how long ago this was. That this guy who's revered as a baseball genius and everything, their realm of the baseball clubhouse and the diamond were this sacred place and everything else is just outside noise. And in the meantime, the NFL is going, nope, number one thing is television. Merchandise is huge. Growing our game worldwide. Get our fans, our product as much as possible. And here is Sparky Anderson saying, I want none of that in 1995 because it's all about baseball and this sacred ground and land that we have and this game in between the lines. You wonder why baseball got passed by. You wonder why it looked archaic in an old man game. You wonder why. You wonder why it took Cal Ripken Jr. and steroids in a home run race to bring it back and to make it fun. Sparky didn't make it sound fun. Not at all. I couldn't believe, like, now that I think that that's even 95, that even scares even more. Like, I wasn't working in the game. I was in college. It just shows. But, you know, what? we still have remnants of that. We still have broadcasters from that era. I don't like interleague play. Like, what? Look at the back of the baseball card. What? You guys are like, I mean, it just, that, wow. So that's Sparky Andrew. I didn't even want to start the show with that. It just, it's it, like, I was, I don't know how many people were listening. It was early in the morning, but I was just shocked listening to him. And now I'm even more shocked. I thought it was the 80s. That was actually the 90s. I was worried because you texted me. You said, can you send me the Sparky interview? And I was like, I listened to it. I'm like, did he say something that was wrong or I, I missed or he swore or something happened? And, then, and then, no, I just, we were just talking back and forth and I'll heap. And he, I, I don't want to hate on radio, but it, it just, it, it like, it like, like, look what we're doing now. We're streaming, we're on YouTube, we're on Twitter. This is 95. Silicon Valley is starting to boom, right? Yeah. I got, I got buddies who were leaving college at San Jose State to go work at startup, who work at startups, who at that time, all of a sudden they were the startup millionaires. Like, all oh, the stock, I have a million. Some made it. Some made a lot of money. Somebody, some guy's stocks end up not being worth a million, but that was the start of what we know of Silicon Valley to do what we're doing now. YouTube, Twitter. But then back then, that's the Sparky Anderson newspaper. I'm a newspaper man. I'm a radio guy. It's about our radio network. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, they still probably didn't even like cable television at that point. <laughs> right? I mean, those was what that. In the 90s is when the new ballparks started coming in. It's where the cable cable kind of took over the game. And cable was becoming king because people started signing these cable deals. And that's where the money started to really grow. Not in Sparky's eyes. He didn't care about the money. He was talking about, oh, these little guys. You got a bunch of little guys hitting 15 home runs. He said that multiple times. I know. He wasn't happy with guys. He wasn't happy with little guys hitting 15 home runs. Because that's not part of his sacred game. He even started talking about money, and the money he brought up was so small, you're like, the the people of that bait, which makes me think of what baseball would have been like in the 80s, 
the 70s, my God, even in the 60s. How these people viewed business, viewed the game, they viewed the game above anything else, right? To where we now know that's just dumb. No offense, dumb. Small-minded thinking was in our game for a long time, and it hurt it. It really did. Baseball could be. Remember, America's pastime. Football just went right past it. Football's America's pastime now. I mean, I can I can show you a take me random SEC football game on a Saturday. Not Al, not Alabama. Mississippi State, Texas A&M. Way better ratings than the World Series. Give me another one. Uh, who's the worst? M- Missouri and uh, Arkansas. By the way, I that should my grandmother was one of third. Uh, no, one of 11. My grandmother was the youngest of 11. And they all called, and then they all migrated out west, and they all called it Missouri. So when I brought that up to people who were actually from Missouri, younger people like, that's, that's not called Missouri. I'm like, old people called it Missouri. I don't know. We may, we can investigate that. I I, but they called it Missouri. They did. That's fact. My, my wife's cousin played baseball at Missouri. And he said he never heard it called Missouri before. And he's from California. Then he moved to Texas. I don't know. I don't know. So, yeah, so Arkansas and Missouri. Arkansas, LSU, Florida, Vanderbilt, Kentucky. On on CBS. Well, well, Kentucky's, to their defense, now Kentucky's actually not bad. Vandy still stinks at football. Now, Vandy baseball, for sure. Vandy football's not walking through that door. No, no, no. Okay, I'll give you one. Jay Cutler ain't coming through the doors. I'll give you one. Ole Miss, Ole Miss against Kentucky. Lane, the lane train. On a Saturday, CBS, because if you know, CBS has SEC Saturdays. In our country, nationwide television ratings, right? The national television, eyes on the tube. Ole Miss against who did I say? Uh, Kentucky. Kentucky will get higher ratings than the World Series. I'm not even bringing up NFL. I'm just going college football. So the Sparky Andersons of the world, ah, genius, Hall of Famer, we love you. You guys blew it. <laughs> you guys, you and your idiot commissioner, Bud C. League, y'all blew it. Now, baseball, as I've said, still a viable business, makes a lot of money, but the way they make money now is becoming different, and it's not because of your players. It's not because of your cherished game. It's because you a lot of got you got a lot of games, you got a lot of content, and the apples of the world, the Amazons, the Googles. Google owns YouTube. We got YouTube games. You're a content provider. That's your big value now. Does who's the biggest player right now in Major League Baseball? Biggest player, uh, not tallest wise. That's a guy. No, who just you're talking about the or, an or around. Who's the guy just pitched for the Giants? Is like six. Sam, uh, his lesson starts with an H. How much? Six, six, eleven. Yeah, I think he's the tallest pitcher to ever pitch. It was like him, John Roush, Randy Johnson. There's a bunch. Uh, of what's ones. his name? Young, who's in the Chris Young. The, you mean Chris the, Young? You mean, you mean Rangers GM Chris Young? You mean he was Princeton, right? Princeton, yeah. Princeton basketball legend Chris Young. See how they say this guy. He was name. what six ten. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to find this guy. He was a there. power forward. He wasn't even a center. 
Uh, I don't know how to. Literally, f- Princeton, the most boring basketball ever played. Princeton. I don't even know what their nickname is. Uh, they are the. Are they the Tigers? I I just said I don't know what their. Yeah, nickname I think uh, now you're coming. Now you're coming. Wondering what Princeton. Stay no, Princeton. The- Princeton Tigers. Yeah. Princeton Tigers. But yeah, I mean. How do you think Sparky Anderson would feel about who's the big who's the biggest guy oh, in the game right now? Uh, Shoei? I'd say Shoei or Trout. Okay. I guarantee you, as much as you want to talk about Trout, Shoei, you can talk about anybody. Any of the Yankees, any player. You go over to China, they're all wearing basketball jerseys. I wanted to actually there's another thing I want to start this show with today. And because I am of the belief that Play the damn game. Play, play. I don't care what the score is. I'm so tired of unwritten rules. I want people, when kids come to the ballpark, I want them to see baseball. I want them to enjoy it. I know when the game's over, they're getting back in the car, and they don't care, and they're going home, and they'll do whatever, play video games, or hopefully go out and play some wiffle ball. But while you're there, entertain. We're the entertainment business. And there was that Giants game early in the season Padres are getting hammered by the Giants. I don't remember what the score is. It was a, it was a 10-1 or 10-2, 11-2. Dude steals a base in the second inning. Dude bunts in the si- sixth inning. Not the ninth, sixth inning. Everybody's up in arms. Mauricio Dubon is who bunted. Up in arms. Everybody's, oh, my God, unwritten rules. What are you doing? And I remember on for my NBC hit, which, by the way, will be very interesting today. If you're going to be watching NBC Sports California, it's going to let you know. Um, it was really a last-minute deal. So if my facts are not right on that, it was a thrown-together deal. <laughs> I would say you're looking at me, but I, I was right here, so I heard the whole thing. So <laughs> if you wonder why we were a little bit late today, well, they had us in a 50-minute meeting today, and we still got to do our jobs. And we're coming off a doubleheader yesterday, for God's sakes. We got 15 games in 13 days. But anyway... By the way, the Giants pitch real quick, so I just clear my mind. Sean Jelly is the guy that was Jelly. Jelly, yeah. It's, As in jellyfish. Yeah, it's spelled H J E L L E, but it's pronounced Jelly. He is uh six eleven, two twenty eight baseball reference says. So six eleven, so he is a tall pitcher. That's a law that's a that that's he's basically a center. Yeah, that's a well in the NBA centers are six nine now, Draymond Green's six eight, but he's yeah, not a center and it's not <laughs> his fault. He didn't do anything wrong. Go Warriors, they played tonight. I think. Closeout game. Yeah. Good. We'll see. No John whoa, Morant. Wha- whoa. No John Morant. Whoa. Well, he's, he's got the knee, right? Yeah, he's out for the rest whoa. of the postseason. Whoa. Are you – Dub Nation in trouble? Are you saying Dub Nation is in trouble? No, I just, I'm not saying that. Maybe they're going back – is the game in Memphis? I think it's in Memphis. So, they might lose tonight, but they'll probably win. It's, they'll probably win game six of Chase. I don't know. I haven't watched it. Dub Nation is alive and – where's my – where's my uh, – so my old studio, I used to have all the stuff from all the teams I work. So I got a bunch of Raiders stuff, Warriors stuff. Where's my Warriors foam finger that says you're number one? <laughs> uh, Dub Nation, we support Dub. Na- I can't believe you go against Dub Nation. I just said they're probably they, they'll probably win in six. Oh, you know, you start with whoa, game six. So back to my point. I went on NBC California. I did my hit. And Brody and Dave Stewart destroyed me. Like I'm an idiot. That's Bush, you know, it's Bush League. You don't you don't bunt when you're up X amount of runs in the sixth inning. That's Bush League. 
Oh, that's Bush League. But last night in Anaheim, do we have it? Yeah. Let's roll the tape. Let's talk about Dave Stewart, A's Hall of Famer, retiring his jersey, came down my road by saying, you never saw Willie Mays do that because he watched Willie Mays. Well, did we ever see the great Willie Mays in a game do this? There we go. Look at him. Pretty. Oh, my goodness. Isn't this the greatest thing you've ever seen? Can't make it up. We got to ask Gooby about this on Friday. We get him. Gooby just said it's an oh, my moment. Left-handed goes yard. 12 to nothing. You see the score. I don't believe it. Put the cowboy hat on. Put the cowboy hat on. Video courtesy of Bally Sports. That's where we got that feature. Down in Southern California. Uh, so, Brett Phillips, Maverick, friend of the program, as you know here on A's Cast Live. Really a friend of the program. Guy, guy for two days came over and hung out with us. Yeah, he wouldn't go away. So, you have a position player pitching. You have Anthony Rendon going to the plate, batting left-handed for the first time in his career. I mean, all we need to do is pop up a tent, get some lions, bears, and tigers, and we got a circus. Get some clowns. That's a three-ring circus right there, right? Where's my integrity police? You're making a mockery of this game, according to the integrity police. The Giants st- bunt or s- Giants steal a base in the second inning, and I hate – you know how I feel about the Giants. What, what, whatever team we're talking about here, I'm just using them as the example. Well, they did it. Guy stealing a base only in the second inning, and you're saying it's Bush League. A guy's bunting because he's struggling. He, I mean, it's his stats. I'm bunting for a base hit in the sixth inning because I'm struggling, right? Yeah. Who yes. was it again? Uh, Mauricio Dubon. Dubon was struggling, if I believe, at the time to start Correct. the year. Correct, he was. He needs a base hit. It's the sixth inning. You're calling it Bush League, and then you're calling me out saying, oh, Willie Mays never played like that. Oh, did Willie Mays or Hank Aaron ever step up and hit left-handed against a pitcher? Where is my intent? We're celebrating this moment. I think it's cool. Brett Phillips, Maverick Phillips on Twitter, says you got lucky because he served it up to Mike Trout before that. Yeah, Trout crushed that ball. <laughs> he gave it up to Trout and then put on Twitter. I mean, this is good for the fans. It's good for the kids. Where is my integrity police that went after me. I wanted to do it today on NBC, but there was a different producer. I want to come down everybody's road who said I was wrong. Because if you were wrong, if you were pissed about a guy stealing a bag in a second inning or bunting in the sixth, you should be really angry about this. Because this is making a complete mockery of the game. Uh, think about the sequence that this happened. It's in the bottom of the eighth inning. A position player on the mound pitching to a guy batting left-handed who is struggling to hit the ball right-handed for the Angels, mind you. And a game where the guy on the Angels has a no-hitter going in the eighth inning. Is, does that not even make it more? I, thank you very much. I forgot about that. We got a no-no going on the other side. And you're throwing out a position player? Where is the integrity police today? Phillips ZRA is like 27 right now. And you know what they're going to do? You're a bunch of gutless cowards, and you're going to come out and say nothing because that was entertaining as hell, and that's what our sport needs. 
but you it, heard me. Let me say it again. You're a bunch of gutless cowards, and you won't come out and go after these guys because public opinion will destroy you. But if the game's eight nothing and a guy steals in the second inning, you're going to be all upset. Wouldn't you agree? Just agree. You don't always have to agree with me. You, Cody, obviously never agrees with me. But on this one, Cody, won't you agree that if you were upset about that Giants-Padre game at the beginning of the year, I can't even – it was so long ago, I don't even remember when it was. It was in April. I couldn't even tell you the date. I don't know. I, just, I know it was a night game, and it was right? At, and it was, at, uh, it was at Oracle Park. If Matt Williams was so angry that night, if Dave Stewart had to bring up Willie May, how should you feel about this game? You should be upset about it. This You made a mockery of the game. Right? Yeah. But I love. I mean, I loved it. I hey, what did you do with I told you my charger. Oh, uh, it's right behind you. I was on the phone with my wife's dad, who was a, an Angels fan. My wife is an Angels fan. I'm watching all this transpire at the same time while the Angels are going for a no-hitter, and there's a guy hitting left-handed for the first time in his career off a position player. Off a position player who, now I know we know him, but he was pitching. Um, it, ju- it was just a wild, wild sequence. Well, I can. I just turned my light out, by the way, unfortunately. Uh, still looks good. Um, I was off a double dip, a double header. See, this is what I like. This is what I like. We can when when you do a streaming show. What we're learning, you can be relaxed. Not everything. If you were doing this on, on like cable TV right now, they'd be flipping out. Probably, yeah. I don't know. I'm not. A, I never produced cable television, so I only produce sports talk and streaming radio now. Well, sports talk, no one would care. That's a whole different ball game. Ah, oh, no, you're my creating light. news by doing that. That's my. There's my light. Conspiracy. <laughs> I saw this, and this isn't the first time. This has come out of the New York Mets. These are A's people saying this. Chris Bassett, if you remember, talked about. The baseball's being different. And that played. And then Eric Chavez said, former A's third baseman and now hitting coach for the Metropolitans, said that his players said to him, now remember, if you say this as in A's hitting coach, who's who, who's the D-backs hitting coach? I don't know. Exactly. Who's the Royals hitting coach? Great question. Nobody cares. Hell, I, I didn't know Hank Conger was the first base coach of the Twins. Nobody <laughs> cares. But if you say this in New York as an, on a New York team, this is going to make news. Plus it's Eric Chavez. But, yeah, I mean, you're a longtime big leaguer. Uh, you're with the Mets. It's going to make – well, he said his players are saying, hey, for these nationally televised games or the Apple TV games or the Peacock game, balls are different. They're flying further than, let's say, the A's. Oh, conspiracy. This, oh. this sounds like new X-Files, not old X-Files. Uh, well, hold on. Let me see if I can find the old one. This is... No. Nope. Nope. This is new X-Files. Yeah. I want the original X-Files, one of my favorite television shows, Scully and Mulder. 
right? Wasn't she yes, Mulder? Yes, yes, yes. Or he was Mulder, she was Scully. Um, Wait, maybe this is it. Hold on. 11 years ago. Yes. There we go. There you go. <laughs> on Fox, X-Files. Kids, look it up. It was an incredible show. It they, was so ridiculous. They brought it back again not that long ago. Scully never believed Mulder. Every episode, he could show her the craziest things in the world. Next week, she still didn't believe him. Phenomenal show. I was always a fan. I actually went back and started watching it. But I hate the poo-poo on your conspiracy, so I looked Well, at- well, wait a minute. He claims that their data, their analytics have shown, because you could look apples to apples. Like, let's say you're the Mets taking on the Braves, and it's a Tuesday night, and you're playing on. Are they Valley Sports now, too? Because they were a Fox. Who, New York? Yeah. No, they're still on um, uh, SNY. I thought they were Fox. No, they're SNY. Whatever. They're on SNY. Braves are on Valley Sports. It's a Tuesday night. You're on your local cable thing. You play with one baseball, but then all of a sudden you're on some type of nationally televised game or you're on these games. Remember, Apple's paid a lot of money. NBC Peacock's paid a lot of money. You get on those games, players think you're using different balls because they can tell the ball's different. Pitchers can, hitters can, and hitters are saying the ball goes further. Eric Chavez says, I didn't believe him until I saw it with my own eyes, and then our analytics backed it up. Well, you can poo-poo it or not. The fact that the players believe that their equipment is changing based off what the games are on television-wise is a really bad look for the sport. Like, we don't – if the Warriors are taking on the Suns, and this is just uh, NBC Sports Bay Area and the Suns – are Suns Valley Sports too? What are they? I think they are. I think they were Fox. Okay. So you're just playing a Tuesday night game, Warriors-Suns, and it's on. they're playing with one ball. But if it's a TNT game, you're now playing with a different ball, and this ball is easier to shoot and make baskets. Or football, Niners playing the Cardinals. It's a 1 o'clock regular Fox game. You're playing with one football, but we've got this extra football over here. What if it's deflated? Well, this football over here, it's easier to score touchdowns and kick field goals, but we're only busting this football out for Sunday night football or Monday night football. Or when Tom Brady's playing. Or Thursday night football. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Prime time versus non-prime. We're using different balls. We already think the balls are changing. We don't know if they're juice, not juice. They're in humidors. Whose humidor works? How does a humidor work in Oakland versus in Colorado? How does it change the ball? How does the humidor change the ball in South Florida versus San Francisco versus San Diego, Kansas City, Milwaukee, New What the hell are we doing? We have no idea what ball we're playing with and what game on what time. I mean, and if you've got the players saying, "Uh uh-huh, hey, no one knows the equipment better than the players. Players, professional athletes, I don't care what sport, they know the exact thing that's going on with their equipment. Bats, balls, gloves. You You could give an infielder... The same glove, one's his, one's another, but they look the exact same, puts it on, he goes, this is my glove. They know when they hit balls if they're different. That's why these guys, when they first started giving you the smaller juice balls for home run derby at the All-Star game, players knew right away, hey, these aren't the same balls. They know. In golf, you give a guy a different golf ball than he's used to playing, he'll know immediately. 
these guys are at the highest level. They know their equipment better than anybody. And players are going, this isn't the same ball. And they're noticing that the ball is different in primetime games that are not on local cable, that are on whether it's Sunday baseball, whatever. We've got, hell, we had Peacock early yesterday. That was our first Peacock game. Yeah, uh, Jason Bedetti was on the call. So you're going to tell me that former A's six-time gold glove winner Eric Chavez, 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 however you want to pronounce his last name, uh, is full of it. I just looked at ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. Just to see. Wait a minute, you look. Do you have data there? He's yes, saying I, he's saying he has analytics, which is basically using stats. Well, I, I didn't look at I didn't look at Apple TV because not everyone can get Apple TV. But he's but well, it is free right now. He's not talking about he's he he's said in primetime games. Okay, well, I just looked at Sunday Night Baseball. Yankees Red Sox first game of the year. How many home runs were hit in that game? That that this does not matter. I, th- I thought the, the balls were the ball, balls were flying. This out of the does not matter. Because what they can do, they can go way more into it than what you're doing, is I can take a player and I can take his swing and I can take the ball off his bat because this is apples to apples and I can look at launch angle, I can look at spin, I can look at exit velocity and the same swing on the same pitch because we have so much data that in a primetime game, same swing, same everything, a ball went 15 feet further. Yeah, I get that. So you're just giving me generic. I need more than generic because they're able to act. We know what they have. They can look at everything. They can tell how much more on a given night a ball is flying because of all the stuff they have with StatCast from night to night. Same players. If the Mets and Braves played Tuesday night on their cable channels, but then on Wednesday night they played on Apple Plus, same swings, same pitches, and balls are going further, they can have that kind of data. And I and I think it's – and I, I actually – I'm with you on this. Like, why are we using different balls? Like, we should use – I'm so, so over-talking about the damn baseball. Well, and the fact that baseball is invested in Rawlings, like – this here's where the here's where the conspiracy. Somebody has to send these teams the balls. Fact. Fact. Yes. Balls have to show up. Somebody has to handle the balls, right? Uh, fact. Okay. Somebody's got to put balls into humidor. Fact. Are the packages of balls that are coming to these stadiums? Are they saying? Use these balls for these games, but then take this set of balls and use them for. That's what essentially would have to happen. You would have to have certain balls that are for, and they could easily do this. I'm just thinking out loud. Like you could have special logos on the balls to say, oh, these are the Apple Plus balls because we put the Apple symbol on the ball. And that's the way you could make it look like we're not doing anything sneaky. But clearly, if you're saying the balls are different for primetime games, those balls have to be put somewhere. They have to be categorized differently than the balls that are being used for a regular game on regular television. Uh, Or I should say, on your local cable networks. Maybe by the end of the year we'll we'll know this because our friend Dr. Meredith Wills is always – looking at the baseball, she might be able to lend more expertise into this. I don't want to investigate this with our club because the last thing I want to do is make national yeah, news. Yeah. But I'm just saying it's not that hard. You people out there that can break the story, 
Start asking how the balls are handled. I mean, the Mets should ask. You're the hitting coach of the Mets. Can't you, Chavi, go to whoever, say, who handles the balls? All right, are you given specifics about getting different balls? We're having Jerry Blevins on, right? Yeah, I just texted him, though. Like, ask Jerry. Jerry with the Mets. coming from. This is all coming from the Mets. Bassett says the balls are different. Hitting coach, Chavi says the balls are different. Like, who's handling the baseballs? And are they told, use these baseballs for primetime games and then use these baseballs for non-primetime games? Is that what's going on? How do we know? That? I mean, if, they're, if, the, if, if the hitting coach for the Mets says their analytics show there's a difference, we've got a problem. Yeah, that, again, this whole baseball thing is just – they The players felt like the balls were different for the postseason? Yeah. Well, we saw that um, – was it 2020? How the balls are flying out and and uh, what's a ball fly out in Dodger Stadium? And how many home runs are in that? And the series against the Astros, like twenty something, like that, that that just doesn't happen. And then you hear, well, it was the daytime and it was warm. Hey, how about this? All of baseball's issues are now, you know, once again listening to these old guys who've been covering this sport for a long time. And I, well, you know, it's cold out. So everything's about the weather. Yeah, everything's I, about the weather. We don't want to investigate bats, balls, players. We don't. Everything now. Every baseball, baseball is banking that all their horrific numbers going on, like lowest batting average ever, runs down, home run. They're hoping it all is just because of the sun, <laughs> right? Yeah, they're banking on what what weather is like. Oh, it's going to heat up. Now it's going to heat up. Once it heats up, uh, back to normal. Okay. That's what they're hoping for. Now, you know what? It's not what they're hoping for. It's what they're banking on. Because right now they're getting asked these questions. Like, well, hey, why is everything down? Why is this down? Why, you know? You know, it's pretty simple. It's like all your offensive numbers are way down, and yet you talked about how your pitchers were all not ready to go because of the lockout. Well, for all these guys that weren't ready to go and weren't ready to compete because they didn't have their full spring training, they seem to be dominating without that full spring training. Look at the numbers. And the answer is, well, it's cold. Let's wait till it heats up. I mean, no one's – I mean, was it, if it wasn't for Eno Saris, how many people would even know that every team is using a humidor now? Uh, probably not many. I mean, because I, I could go to all these different websites. I can go to all these websites – and no one's really – everybody's just kind of guessing, right? Like, what does a humidor do for a baseball that's in the weather of Dallas, Texas, versus what does it do in San Francisco? And who's controlling it? How long are they in the humidors? They sit in the humidors the whole time like a cigar? Like, we have no idea. We have literally – do they sit half the time in the humidor? Half the time not? Is it all the time? What time do they pull the humidors out before the actual they're going to go into play? Do you know? Yeah, no idea. Hour, two hours, ten minutes? I mean, you got to rub them down with the Mississippi mud. Do you put them back into the humidor? Shouldn't we know the pro- – we I'm know the pro- – to- like after Tom Brady and the deflated, we like got the actual – the NFL has a timeline of what has to happen with the footballs when they're checked by – all that the refs check 
the footballs. They're supposed to check them and check how much air is in the footballs. There, there, there's like a there's an actual protocol to this. We have no clue what the protocol is. Jim, how you doing? Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Hey, how you doing? Doing great. It's great to have you on the program. How have you been? I'm doing fine. Thank you. So we got an interesting series here with two different teams. I know you've been looking at the Tigers a lot for the A's. Unfortunately, we've fallen on hard times here. A's have lost nine in a row. Tigers have lost five in a row. And you got five games in four days. How do you view this series? Well, I just think that both teams are in the same situation. Both teams are trying to win one game. Uh, you got to start with the first game being played tonight and try to win that game. You can't worry about the five-game series. You can't worry about – can't chew yesterday's breakfast. you got to just move forward and try to win a ball game, and that's what A.J. and Kotze are going to try to do tonight. They're going to try to put their team in the best chance to win a game and then go from there and hope that they pick up a little momentum. What was it like – in a season managing where you know the expectations are you're going to try and win every game but you're not going to win a lot of games but it is trying to find young players that are going to help you in the future what is it like managing a year like that well i think it's a very interesting job because you got to really make judgments on whether the young people that you're trying are the real deal or not so that's one thing you become kind of a scout as well as a manager so you have to be to project, be able to project on their future and are they going to be there when your team gets good. So that's one thing you look at. The other thing you look at is how, how do those young players adjust to the major league level, the pace of the game, the speed of the game, the crowds, the media, you know, overall, their overall persona, how do they handle everything? Uh, that's another thing that you're looking at. The one thing you have to be careful of is when you're losing games like that, and I went through it, you have to be careful that you don't get out of sync as a manager and start doing stuff that really doesn't make a lot of sense because you're trying to do stuff. Uh, you're trying to create stuff that's really not there. So you got to be careful with that. I think you got to push once in a while if your club's not hit for sure and things like that. But you got to be careful that you don't try things that really, you know, aren't going to be factors when your team gets good. You got to manage solid, manage the game solid, make solid decisions and, you know, you will forever as a manager, you will forever be either the victim or the beneficiary of your player's performance. So you have to keep all that intact. You know, in the past, whether it was Bob Melvin or now talking to Mark Kotze about a situation like this, they talk about the teaching aspect. One of the things that they do enjoy with, let's say you have a lot of young players, is getting back to the origin of being a coach. Did you feel like that during times like this? Absolutely. Yes. You're trying to uh, correct mistakes that are made. You're trying to avoid mistakes that could be made. Uh, you're trying to mature the young players. You're trying to grow them up in the major leagues, which is kind of hard to do. Uh, you're trying to understand at all times how tough the game is to play. So you got to be careful. You're not too hard on them. Yet there's a fine line there. You also, you can't be too hard on them, but you can't baby them so much that they think it's okay. You know, they, they still have to, uh, learn how to grow and perform and mature and graduate, so to speak. So there's a fine line there. It's a big job for a manager, but it's a very interesting job because it's very rewarding to see these players get better. And, and a lot of them go on to have very solid major league careers. Hopefully it's with the Oakland A's. In some cases it is, in some cases it's not. But it's very rewarding when you see guys make progress. 
and it just, uh, you know, it kind of eases the pain of some tough losses, which you're going to have. Uh, I went through a bunch of them after we won the World Series. We went to a bunch of kids, and we just got beat up. But uh, there was still a lot of gratification. So I think you have to just look at the overall picture. You have to stay consistent as a manager. You have to stay consistent as an organization. You have to believe in your players. You have to give them opportunities. And you have to make them understand that it's like a defense lawyer. If you want somebody to defend you as a player, then you got to give them something to go to court with. So you got to give us something that shows us that you that you're making progress, that you've got a chance to be a good player. Give me something to take to the general manager as to why I want to keep playing this guy. So the players have to chip in as well. That is the best explanation I've ever heard about this because I've been through this now a couple times in my career. And I think about a guy that we have, Jim, that's exactly what you're talking about, Christian Pache, who we traded Matt Olson. He was part of the Matt Olson trade coming over. He's one of the top prospects for the Braves. He's 6'2", 215, super athletic. He, I mean, he tracks everything down in center field. He seems like he has the heart of gold, what he's done so far with kids and signing autographs and being, you know, embracing Oakland. I mean, he's done everything. The only thing is he's not hitting Jim. The last 20 games, he's hitting a buck 21. So he hasn't been very competitive. But making that case to keep him here, let him grow, is you talk about him evolving as a person i get that but when you have a guy struggling like that for three weeks and he's really young what do you think is the key to help help get that light bulb to go on well i think one of the keys is that you want to make sure that he's the kind of player if it gets so bad that because i've always believed this if he's the real deal you can at some point send him down if you have to and if he's the real deal he will come back and he will come back strong I sent down some great players in my career, good players for sure, not all great, but some really good players that everybody said, oh, you're worried about, you know, messing them up mentally by sending them down. I said, listen, I, I don't believe in that. they got to be tough mentally to play in the big leagues. And if that's going to bother them or ruin their career, then they got a problem. They're never going to make it anyway. So I think, you know, you, you just you play them as much as you can. If there comes a juncture where you say, you know what, this, this kid's just getting beat up so bad. We got to get him away from it. Let's send him down to AAA. That's not all so bad. I mean, I know the player doesn't want to hear that, and hopefully that doesn't have to happen. But uh, I, you know, I don't really know much about the Oakland A's anymore. But I do know this: that I did hear from a lot of good baseball people that they really made a good trade when they traded Olson, and that they really got some talent back. So I, I assume that's one of the kids that they got back. And uh, you know, Oakland's got a pretty good track record. You know, not a big payroll over the last, I can't tell you how many years, but I competed against them for a long time. Very respectful of Billy Bean and that organization and what they've done. They've made a lot of good decisions, and they're normally right in the hunt. They're probably not going to be this year, but they're normally right in there going to postseason or close to it. You know, speaking of a good decision, back in the day, the skinny shortstop, and some people want him as a pitcher, Miguel Cabrera, uh, the stories coming out of Venezuela where go find somebody and he hops a fence at a tryout and the rest is history. And you talk about 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, 600 doubles. You've known him for a long, long time. Watching him grow into the man that he is, watching him where he is here at the end of his career and achieving all these milestones, seeing it through your eyes. What's it been like? Well, it's been a wonderful experience for me. I, I, I experienced a lot of it actually firsthand. 
I thought the greatest single season I've ever seen since my day. I didn't really remember Yastrzemski's or Frank Robinson's, but the Triple Crown year in 2012 was something I've never seen in my life. And it was one of my greatest experiences and most, one of my most memorable moments to see what he did that year because he got no leg hits. You know, I mean, all his hits had to be legitimate. So to see what he's accomplished and continuing to accomplish is amazing. And uh, he's just one of those guys, when you see him, uh, he's different. It sticks out. It sticks out immediately. Uh, and you get players like that, you know, from time to time. You know, the Mike Trouts and guys like that, uh, Guerrero Jr., uh, Vlad Jr., and guys like that. It just, they're just different. And it doesn't take anybody, a genius, to figure that out. They look different. They play different. The ball sounds different. You know, they hit pitches that other guys don't hit. They're just a, a special group of guys. And to be honest with you, there's really not that many of them. No, and, and if you're asked, like, what was it like playing against them? I mean, obviously, we did battle against you guys in the postseason. And it was just like every single time he came on deck, it was always like, oh, no, this guy. Because he could leave the yard against you, or he could get a key hit like against Sonny Gray. But he could go left field. He can go right field. How many guys in the history of the game could really beat you foul pole to foul pole and take you deep at the same time that you either coached or coached against? Well, not very many. Uh, Albert Pujols probably, but not very many, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I, I've said all along, I think Miguel Cabrera had the best opposite field power of any hitter I've ever seen. Now, there's been guys before Miguel that I didn't see, and I'm sure there'll be some guys after that I'm not going to see. But uh, during my time in the big leagues, Miguel had the best opposite field power of anybody I've ever seen. He could also, he was one of the few guys that I've ever seen, and I had two of them, Miguel Cabrera and Magli Ordonia. They were two of the few guys I've ever seen that could take a hard sinker ball, right-handed hard sinker ball pitcher, and take that ball down at the ankles and shoot a ball in the right field. That's unbelievably hard to do. There's not many guys that could do that. Maglio could do it. Miguel Cabrera could do it. And that, that kind of stuff separates them. Well, and then there is the whole part of growing up in the game of baseball, Jim, which is so different from era to era because these guys come to the big leagues with nothing, and then now you got guys signing hundreds of millions of dollars in guaranteed money in these contracts. So you watch them grow from nothing to what they have into stardom. Uh, They have families. They have lives. They have business interests away from the game. Just talk about watching someone like Miguel Cabrera, where he started to where he is now. Well, it, it's it's very interesting, to be honest with you. And I found this out actually throughout my entire career. You know, guys that were making 60000 and now making $60 million and more, things like that, they were good guys whether they were making 6000 or $60 million. And and there's other guys that if they're not a good guy, they may change. It may, you know, it, 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 it may change them as a person. But for the most part, I found in my career, the players are great guys. They're young kids. They make a lot of money, but they're good people. And they're really good people. And I found out that I've never really noticed that the money has ever changed any of the good guys. Now, it might buy them a bigger home. It might get them a nicer car. It might do some other things, obviously, for them, which it definitely does. But as far as changing them as a human being, I've never really noticed that very much. So now with the Tigers, how much do you watch the big club? I I know you also watch the minor leagues. How much are you involved, and what exactly is your role with the Tigers these days? 
Well, I, I'm still a special assistant to Alavila. Uh, I watch the Tigers every single game. <clears throat> I don't stick my nose in anything unless I'm asked. I'm actually in Pittsburgh today. I'm going to see a high school player that's going to be involved in a draft, possibly a high pick. So I'm going out to see him tonight uh, because he's right in my backyard, basically. Uh, but I go to spring training. I watch every game. And I travel with Al to watch every game. And then, you know, I have my opinion if they ask it. But, you know, we got a veteran manager in A.J. Hinch. He knows what's going on. He's got an excellent coaching staff. They don't really need a lot of information or a lot of input. Uh, A.J. and I talk from time to time. But I I never, you know, butt in or, 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 you know, overstep my boundaries. I just don't don't do that. And then, as you said, I'll go to Toledo and Erie, look at our double-A and triple-A club, and – report to Alavila what I see. And if I think somebody's worthy of bringing up and they're looking for somebody, I'll give them my opinion and, and then they can do what they want with it. Well, I think of your amazing life in baseball. And I know if you were, if I was running a ball club and, and you were part of it, I would want your nose in it a ton. What do you think the best advice? I mean, everybody's got kind of like their go-to. What's that one thing, that advice that you have to help an organization like the Detroit Tigers if somebody like the general manager or the manager come to you? Well, I, I'll give you my honest opinion on what I believe. I believe that as an organization that you pay your players well, and when I say well, I'm talking about fair, I think you treat everybody first class. I think you run a first class organization the way you travel, the way you run spring training, your facilities. I think you do everything top notch because then if players complain or a player complains, you got him right in your pocket because the other players know that that's not true. When one player starts whining about the organization, other players say, hey, wait a minute. Do they pay us fair? Yes. Do they treat us great? Yes. Do we travel first class? Yes. Do we have a great facility? Yes. So this guy's out of line, and that way you can have him right in your pocket. He will, he will, he will get in the line with the rest of the guys, but I think you create that at the top by doing all those things as an organization, and then I think you create an attitude that says, hey, we got nothing to complain about here, fellas. This is as good as it gets. So I think that really helps your organization. Let's end on this. I know I've never asked you this before, but for you to win a World Series and for you to manage Team USA in the World Baseball Classic, and obviously there's something about when you put USA on your chest and you represent our country, you look at you look back on those two championships, what do you think? Well, it, they were two different venues uh, for sure. Uh, in one case, you're with the team. Uh, from day one of spring training, in a lot of cases, some years before maybe, possibly. And you're with them every day in spring training throughout 162 games as well as the playoffs. So there's definitely more of a bond there than there is when you just manage a team uh, for two or three weeks. Although I will say this, the USA team, was one of, it was one of the best jobs and one of the worst jobs I ever had. It was, it was the best job because we got the right guys, Everybody that wanted to be there is the worst job because you're asking them, you're dealing with somebody else's players, they're not yours, and you're asking them to amp it up a little bit quick early on in spring training when they're probably really not ready to do that. So you're just holding your breath every day that somebody doesn't get hurt. Uh, Anybody, I'm talking about anybody. I'm not talking about somebody with a big contract or a little contract. I'm talking about anybody, pitcher, you know, position player. You're holding your breath each and every day. So it's a very strenuous job. 
from that perspective. But we had the right guys. We won it for the first time. It was one of my most enjoyable experiences that I ever had, but it was also one of my toughest. Well, you're a legend in our game, and it's always an honor to have you on the program. We truly appreciate it. Uh, Be well and be safe, and let's talk again soon. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me. The great Jim Leland, three-time manager of the year, won a World Series, manager and won the World Baseball Classic. I mean, and everybody, I mean, my God, every single time we bring him on, everybody's like, Jim Leland, I mean, he's a big deal. I mean, Jim Leland's one of the great managers of all time. Robbie, it has been a while. How are you there in Detroit? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, uh, everything's good. Thanks for having me on. Good to hear from you again. Uh, no doubt. We always loved when you were here with the Oakland Athletics. And uh, we actually just mentioned this to you off the air, you know, with, with the lockout and, and missing basically a little more than a week. The schedule's been crazy. And for you guys in Detroit, it's something like 34 games in 35 days. I mean, you talk about starting a season like this. What's it been like? Uh, it's uh, it's been a grind, but um, something where I have to deal with um, league wide with the 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 uh, late starts of the season. So, what has it been like playing uh, for the Tigers? I know you guys come into this kind of like the A's. The A's have lost nine straight. You guys have like you've lost five straight. What's it been like for you guys? We got to keep grinding and uh, collectively come together and figure out how to win games and and. Uh, Play play well play well rounded baseball on all sides pitching defense and, and hitting the ball and uh, continue to grind these things out. You know you got an interesting mix there in Detroit where you have obviously veteran players like yourself. You have a future Hall of Famer in Miguel Cabrera who's been doing some just unbelievable things, and then you've got a lot of young guys who definitely are the answer now and truly the answer for the future of Tigers baseball. What has playing on this team in the mix been like? It's been a great mix. We got a great group of guys, and like you said, we have we have Maggie who has amazing accomplishments and just lucky enough to be his teammate. And then we got some young guys who are trying to get their uh, just find their footing here in the big leagues and and figure out who they are and and how how life in the big leagues is and it's the adjustment day to day and what it takes to become a big leaguer. You know, every single time Miggy does something. And you just look at it, and you look at the names he's associated with. When you start talking 500 home runs, 3,000 hits, then you throw in, you know, the doubles. I just, and next thing you know, it's Hank Aaron or Willie Mays or whoever. You guys are riding that ride with him. That just must be amazing. What is it like? Uh, it's incredible. Um, it's incredible. It seems like every time he gets a hit, he's passing someone else. And, and the names that he's passing and the games he's played, and it, it's just incredible. And I'm lucky enough to call him my teammate. And uh, one day I can tell my kids that, hey, I played with a Hall of Famer. You know how tough it is to hit in this game. What is it about him at this age that still allows him to perform at such a high level? I mean, he just has such a great swing and just a God-given ability to, to hit a baseball. And But the one thing that's overlooked by him is his competitiveness. Like, I don't know if I've been around someone that's as competitive as him and how much how much it really burns him to win every day. And uh, everyone asks me what surprises you about him that, that you 
most people wouldn't know. And it's just his competitiveness. And, and there's a reason why he's played this long and, and had accomplished so many things because it just, he's such a competitive guy and he wants to win every day. Yeah. You talk about the complete package. I got his numbers here, a career three ten average. He's got 503 home runs. He's got 600 doubles. He's got over 3,000 hits, 1,813 RBIs. You know, you start thinking about 20 years and everything he does, the multiple MVPs and everything. And then in his speech, after his 3,000th hit, we got to see you guys had the glass of champagne. You're right. He really wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about this team winning, going after the division. Did any of you that were you guys looking around going, man, is this real? Is this guy really talking about us when everything that he's done and accomplished? I, I think some of the young guys were taken aback by that, but he did the same thing when he hit this 500 home. It wasn't about him. It was about the team. And uh, it was about, he was more, more proud of, he could do it for his country, his home country of Venezuela. And it was never about him. And, and I think that's what makes him special. And I'm lucky enough to be around him every single day. And, and it's never about him. It's it's always about the team and what what he can do to help the team or and how bad he wants to win. How much can you pick his brain? And you, I mean, obviously you're a switch hitter, but how about how much can you pick his brain and you learn hitting from him? I ask him all kinds of questions all the time, and uh, and just little things I try to get from him. And but more so, I just watch him. Just watching him go about his routine, go about his batting practice. I mean, it's it's something that. You, you tell stories about. So um, it's something that uh, I, I try to, I try to soak up as much information as I can from them. You know, the last time I was in Detroit was before COVID. You were still on our team at that time. And I remember being in Comerica just going, man, this, this place oozes history with all the great history and all the players who played for the Tigers you know, in your career, whether you're an Astro, a twin or an A, what has it been like playing for the Tigers? I mean, like you said, you said it, you said it best. And there's so much history here. Um, just to, to go off the names that have played here before and just how much success they've had and, and how much this team meets, means to the city. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable. You know, I know somebody asked you about the Coliseum and you gave your honest opinion about the Coliseum and yeah, the Coliseum is old and, uh, and we all know the A's and you understand as a former player, a lot of the fans understand you know, that we need a new stadium. I mean, there's no question about it, but there's going to be that part of the fan base that just hates when the Coliseum gets brought up. When you did mention that, what was that like? I know there's, there was some, like on Twitter, there were, you probably, maybe you didn't even pay attention, but there was people that were like, I can't believe he said that. What, what, what happened there? I think more so I want to clarify my comments about that. It, it wasn't a, it wasn't a knock on the fans. It wasn't a knock on the players. It was, it was more so like, hey, we need the city needs to figure out something. That, like the Coliseum is no longer playable. Either build a new stadium. Or we need to figure something out. They deserve better. The fans deserve better. The, the the players deserve better. And people need to know you like playing for the A's. You like playing for Bob Melvin. I, I loved it. I'm, my time in Oakland was special. Um, I, I'm still close with a bunch of teammates from there. Um, I love my time with the A's and it, it will hold, always hold a special place in my heart in my baseball career. You know, I think, and, and, and I know you got to go, you got to get ready for this game today, but, uh, I know one guy that, that means a lot to you and he's still here and, and we, we reference you too 
is Jed Lowry. And do you still work out with Jed in the offseason? I, I do. I do. I work out with him. I hit with him. We hit at the same place, and uh, I'm looking forward to catching up with him. Just how important is that to have that relationship with someone who you really can't – it's apples to apples. You really can compare, ask questions, because as a – you know, it's one thing to ask a hitting coach or whatever, but if he's not a switch hitter, it's hard. Isn't it really hard for people who don't switch hit to understand what you're going through? And that's one of the reasons why you and Jed have had such a great relationship. Yes. And uh, there's only so many of us left switch hitting in this game. And, and the older I get, the less, the less guys that are older than me that switch hit. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, it's, I'm glad I had this relationship with Jed and I can always ask him and, and have his opinion because I respect his opinion and it means a lot to me. And I just, uh, I appreciate our, our friendship. Hey, well, it always means a lot when you come on the program, you've always been great to us here on A's cast. Good luck. We'll see you when you come to Oakland, but, uh, good luck with the Tigers. We'll always be rooting for you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Always good talking to you. I wanted Jerry to see the set. That we got going. Is he on the line with us? I want to see the set too. What the heck's going? You're you you're you're not you're not one of these seventy year old writers. You can't work your camera, dude. I do live TV from this exact same place, <laughs> no problems. But uh, you guys want to do some new stream yard, and it won't it won't go through my Chrome. Yeah, well, yeah, we're the Oakland A's, Jerry. You know how that works. <laughs> That is the truth. I know a little bit too well. Well, it's been a long time since we, we've seen you. Uh, congratulations on the success with John Boy and everything with the Mets. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's nice being on this end of my playing career. I'm enjoying it quite a, quite a lot. Yeah, that was the thing that we always knew. I mean, when we had you on – when I had you on my talk show or the pregame show – we always knew that if it was something you wanted to do, this could be in your future, and I'm glad you're doing it because the personality fits, and uh, and I can see how, you know, especially in New York where they're loving baseball right now, that uh, you can't beat it. It's like a perfect fit for you. It, it's really fun. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't um, sure kind of what I wanted to do, I know I love the game of baseball and I have a young family. I have two young boys um, will be four on the 14th and a two and a half year old. And I just wanted to be home. And now I love that I could do a little bit of everything and live TV still gives me that adrenaline rush. Um, and I enjoy bringing a, a little bit of a unique perspective with some of the things I picked up over my career. Uh, I really enjoy it a lot more than I anticipated. Uh, and it's fun. You know, when you look at what's happening in New York with the Yankees and the Mets doing well, it doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, just talk about how electric it is. It really is electric. There's there's a feeling in the city when the the two baseball clubs are really good and it becomes like you know, a, a little bit of a fervor. It's like a challenge on uh, which colors are going to light up the Empire State Building that day. Um, it's, uh, you know, you see a, a Yankees hat walking by the street and they'll like, if they know who you are, which which happens on occasion, very rarely for, for a middle reliever, but 
they'll give you like a dirty look. Or if a Mets and a Yankees fan walks by, there'll be some in exchange. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, especially when the temperatures start to rise like they are right now out here. Um, it's just a, an electric place to be uh, in a sports town when, when the, two, the two baseball teams are, are playing well. Well, it's so interesting you just said that because we were talking about what Chavi has said over the weekend and ma- made news as the Mets hitting coach talking about, hey, the, his players said the balls were different for primetime games. He didn't believe it. Then he saw it with his own eyes. The analytics backed it up. Uh, Chris Bassett, former A, has talked about the balls are constantly different. What do you make as a pitcher where obviously – if anybody knows if the balls are different, that's the equipment you're playing with every single day. You guys are going to know. What do you make that everybody's saying, hey, these balls day in and day out, and now we're switching what kind of television you're going to be on. It's different. What do you make of that? It's, 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 oh, what's the word I want to use? It's unfortunate and unnecessary, really. Um, can you imagine if the NBA, like, you know, would would be changing the the amount of air pressure in the basketballs, or you know, you saw Deflate Gate with yeah. the NFL, like it 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 matters, um, and it's hard because you don't know how to anticipate it. I remember I remember when they changed the balls the first time, and I'm in BP and I'm like shagging batting practice for the first time in a long time in spring training, and I'm like standing under the baseball. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, man, I, I'm, I'm in. I need to scoot back like 10, 15 feet, and I catch it. And that kept happening. And I'm like, something's weird. Like, this isn't, you know, I've got a lifetime of, of catching fly balls. I can't be this off. Like, my instincts are off. And so it really messes with you. And when you, when you have a little bit of doubt on a lifelong, you know, career of, of playing baseball, it, it's your livelihood and you want something to be consistent. It's just the ball. It's, it's, it's a weird thing to do. I, I don't know what the, the, the issue is and why they keep changing it. Um, but they better start to, to regulate it a lot more or, or the fans themselves, like players have been on them a long time, but I think the fans are starting to, to get fed up with this being an issue. Yeah, we were playing the X-Files music. And I was doing my whole conspiracy thing. I believe everything <laughs> I read on the Internet. I believe everything on Twitter and that joke that I always pull. And I'm like, listen, I, I compared it, and I'm glad you did basketball because that's what I did. I said it's like if the Warriors are playing, as right now, as you know here, everything's Golden State Warriors, and the Warriors, if they're playing on NBC Sports Bay Area and they're let's say they're playing the Suns or on Bally Sports, you're playing with one ball – but all of a sudden, we're going to turn this game into a TNT game. Now we're playing with a different ball that's easier to shoot and hit threes with. We would be going out of our minds if they were playing with different basketballs in different games. Like, why is this acceptable you know, it, in baseball? It's, it's, it, it's so wild that that's a thing. But, you know, even the more frustrating part about it is that you never know which ones you're getting because there's no explanation why we don't even believe that they know when they're doing it. Um, so you don't know what, what ball you're getting any given day. Like even if it were changing and you were made aware of it going into it, you can kind of make an adjustment. It's still a ridiculous concept that we're changing it. But the fact that you never know what ball you're holding in your hand is, is really like just un, it's unacceptable. Now, I, I think about your career, and if you would have come out today 
and played. I mean, you could be an opener. You could be starting. Jerry Blevins could go an inning or two to start a game. Uh, right now, we're looking, and we've been seeing it, and we're looking at historic innings pitched by relievers, that they're covering more innings than ever before. My question has been, is it the more this happens, will it be sustainable? Less innings from starters, more innings from relievers. We're going to cut back on 14 relievers coming up here. Do you believe this is sustainable? Um, I don't believe it's sustainable. I do believe that the game is – it evolves. You never know what iteration of, of baseball is coming, you know. There's a emphasizing home runs and, and the three true outcomes. And then it seems like speed's coming into the game a lot more and teams are starting to rely on. First of all, you know, shout out to the A's and all the great fans. Um, I, I love the A's and I love their fans. And if they want to cheer on the, the, the Oakland A's of years past, come on over to your National League. Let the Mets be your National League team because we got a whole bunch of you guys um, <laughs> with Canna Marte. You know, um, Chris Bassett, Eric Chavez. We, we've got we've got a bunch of old days coming over here. But the game really is cyclical, and Marte's style of baseball is coming around. So as far as bullpen usage, you know, there's there's a lot of math to to three times through the lineup um, as a starter being the time that they start to fall off. So I don't think that starters are all of a sudden going to keep going, but I don't think us having openers is sustainable for a few reasons because you're going to run through arms too quick. And because I don't enjoy it as a consumer of baseball, as a baseball fan, I don't really want to see eight relievers pitch a game. Like as much as it's weird for me to say being a reliever myself, I I never wanted to root for a middle reliever like I don't if I'm gonna buy a jersey I want to buy a starting pitcher's jersey you know I want to I want to buy um you know Jacob deGrom's jersey or Sean Mania's jersey or Frankie Montas I don't want to buy like a, a a Jerry Blevins jersey you know no offense to myself or my kind <laughs> but you need the kind of star power to push the game forward and I just don't think it's a, as good of a product as you can put out there uh, a great example, we were just celebrating it's Mother's Day, so we're looking back to that day that all of us were a part of where Dallas Braden threw the perfect game, and the game took two hours and seven minutes. The other day was a one nothing game between the A's and the Twins, and with all the relievers, one nothing took two hours and 55 minutes. You look at Dallas Braden, two hours and seven minutes, one nothing A's twins took two hour and fifty five. You're like, wait, something's uh, crazy. But looking back on that special day, <laughs> that Mother's Day, and I know everybody who was around it every single time Mother's Day, you see the you, you see all the highlights. Dallas Braden, the nineteenth uh, the nineteenth perfect game. When you remember back to that day, what do you think about? I think about you know. Dallas himself and, and the moment, uh, the, the feeling in the crowd, being in the bullpen. And I think of the, the postgame moment of him embracing his grandma. It's one of those moments that will give me chills. Like, I, like, first and foremost, I got a chance to play baseball, but I've always been a fan of the game. And to witness something as incredible as a perfect game, uh, truly, truly fa like a fantastic thing. And, and I'm really happy – the Dallas is still a, a, a member of the ace family because, you know, that's one of those moments that, that lives on in my memory. It's something I'm grateful for to be able to be a part of. And I'm sure his fans 
are, are happy to have him in the, in the loop and, and being in the booth and, and sharing his knowledge. You know, we're not like going, we're, we're celebrating the 72 team this year and you always know, celebrate teams, but I, I think back, you know, 10 years ago, 2012, I remember going to Japan with the ball club and getting on that plane going, boy, this is going to be a long year. And I remember being at the Tokyo Dome going, man, how's this going to work out? And is this Cespedes guy going to be any good? And Josh Donaldson's really going to play third base. And, like, like I remember just all the different – and I remember the big – I had the big interview for the pregame show with Kurt Suzuki. And, and little did we know that by June the team would be completely different – and from, like, June 2nd on, the team hit more home runs, scored more runs, started pitching, I mean, and chasing down the Texas Rangers. The only time in the history of baseball a team won the division yet never led once the entire year in the division. Just thinking back to 2012, we all got to live it, how magical it was. Yeah, I, I played a long time in this game. I, got, I, got a, I was pretty fortunate to have a long career. Um, I was a part of a 2015 team with the Mets that made it to the World Series. Went to the playoffs with a bunch of teams, including the Nationals and the A's. Uh, but the 2012 Oakland Athletics season is my favorite season that I've ever been a part of in any sport. It was truly magical. There were so many like unique storylines, um, you know, with Cespedes and Coco Crisp and Josh Reddick and Donaldson. Um, you know, even Bob Melvin having his first year in, in an Oakland uniform, like from cover to cover, uh, just a magical place to play. Um, that chase down that we had in, in, in the end of the season, um, it was special, man. There's moments that, that you give, give yourself chills and I'll, you know, it's, it's about, I'm a, just over a year removed from officially retiring. And I'm just now starting to think back on some of my career moments and, and kind of look at it. I've always been weird about, you know, my own personal achievements. Um, but that 2012 season has always felt special. And I've been diving back into it on and off for the last couple of months. And it's truly magical. And uh, I'm excited that you wanted to talk about it because it's truly my favorite season I've ever played. Yeah, we had a uh, team event, and they were going around the line, and uh, some of us have been around here longer than others, and they talked about your favorite year, and I said, my favorite year was 2012. It reminds me a lot of the We Believe Warriors, where you have these teams that took a hold of the Bay Area, and everybody got into the ride, and even though the team didn't win a championship, we, like, remember the team like it did, and I'll never forget how even after that Detroit series, all the Detroit players talked about this was the loudest stadium they had ever heard before. And that that ALDS, even though it was just the division series, it felt like a World Series. It was just – it's hard to explain it to anybody when you say that if they didn't experience it, it, it's hard to explain just how special it was. And it's also one of the reasons why Oakland and the fan base will always be special to you guys. Yeah, I mean, there was, you know, there was a lot of things stacked against that team in the end. Like, um, it was the expansion of the playoffs that they did in midseason. And so that 
turned the home field advantage into, you know, we had to start those first two games on the road and we lost them in, in kind of upset fashion. And then we, we had the three games at home to end it. I truly think, I truly believe in the, my heart of hearts that if we get by the Tigers, that we win the World Series. Like I, we had all this momentum. You talked about how electric that crowd was. It truly was. And I remember all the Tigers talking. I think they played the Yankees next. And they were like, yeah, no, this is like a home game compared to what we just went through in Oakland. And, and to remember that they were going to open up that top deck to, to fans for the A's game. And just, I can't imagine what it would have been like in that situation. Um, it, was, it was incredible, man. It, it was special. There, I, I hope somebody makes a movie about it and we get a chance to, you know, at least give it its just due because it was special. And everybody that was a member of that team, um, front office, clubhouse staff, you know, security, the fans and the, they remember how magical it was. And so it'd be nice to be able to relive it, you know, on occasion. Well, call it Brad Pitt and let's do Moneyball too. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad idea. They didn't win a championship either. No, no. I Well, I, and I remember doing the post game show and you guys went out there, wives, girlfriends, Johnny Gomes has the hose and he's spraying the fans. And then once you guys all left and went back inside, there was just a pyramid right by the mound of those blue cylinder Bud Light cans and champagne bottles. And I think our post-game show, that was after the final game where uh, Hamilton drops the ball, you guys came back and won. I'll never forget that celebration either, just to, to finally win the West and just the way you guys got to truly just enjoy tracking down the Texas Rangers and doing something historically that had never been done before. Yeah, I mean, there, like I said, I could talk about that season forever. Like, uh, you know, I've never that, – that Texas Rangers team just went to back-to-back World Series. They were still a powerhouse. And I've never – I still to this day have never been a part of a series where we knew – the Oakland A's knew that we were going to win all three of those games. And the Texas Rangers knew that we were going to win all three of those games. You could see it, you know, from each player. They just knew we were going to beat them because we just had that kind of edge to us. Unfortunately, we ran into Justin Verlander, and he got the best of us in, in five. Yeah, back-to-back years running into Justin Verlander and Miguel Cabrera. We just actually had Jim Leland on uh, the program because we're taking on the Detroit Tigers, and he's a special assistant to their GM and always reliving it with Jim Leland. And, he, you know, he has so much respect for, for your guys' team, for Bob Melvin. Those were uh, two great battles. We get fans while listening and watching the show that can reach out to us. And one of our fans wants to, uh, you know, obviously the passing of Ray Fossey has been really, really hard on this organization. Just uh, any fond memories you have about Ray? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Ray is one of the reasons why I can do what I do. Um, I remember him approaching me as a young player and just talking about his, an, an interview. And he sat down with me. He he has a way, or he had a way, you know, it hit me pretty hard too with, with Fossey passing. But he had a way of just communicating with with generations of ball players, And you always felt the significance of, of Ray's presence. And he would – you know, I would ask him a question and he would be honest and forthcoming and genuine. 
And in the media game, it's really hard to find genuine people. Um, Oakland's got some really good good people around, and, and they're pretty blessed with the coverage that they had. But Ray had an ability to just make you feel like uh, a member of his family. And he, he, he talked to me about his post-playing career, and I was asking him kind of, you know, how was it transitioning into, into this, and what was your thought process? And he just basically – was forthcoming with so much knowledge and love um, that really, I don't think, you know, at the time when I was talking to him, it was never a, a plan for me to be on the broadcasting side. Uh, but he really kind of opened that door for me to, to, for it even being a possibility. And I saw you can do it with class and dignity and respect. And so I'll forever be grateful to Ray Fossey, a, a, just a, a great human being. Yeah. That's kind of the thing that when, you look at being in Oakland A, that if you're here at the right time and you go through the right experience, and I've seen players that have left and they come back, it's just it's part of a family. Is it a little bit dysfunctional at times? No question. But there is this family-type atmosphere, players, people who work for the organization, fans, and I think you always have that because you were here during a very good – you were here when it was rough. You were here during a good time. But there will always be something special about the Oakland A's and you and your career. Oh, man, I, I love Oakland. I love everything about it. Um, I love the A's. I'll forever be grateful to them. There, there's just – you know, the at the Coliseum especially, it was so conducive and for me, being a bullpen player it was really conducive to, to creating relationships with, with the fans because we, you know, you're face to face with them. You know, the long walk from the clubhouse to, to the bullpen down there, I'm seeing the same, you know, 200 faces every single day. You know, the, when they open the doors early, you see the season ticket holders. You see, you know, you see the same people sitting behind the the. Um, the bullpen there and you start to, to know names and you start to get, you know, close enough to, to ask them about their family or like, Oh, where's Steve today? Or where, you know, where's Ashley? She didn't come to the game. What's she out doing? You know, you get a chance to, to, to be familiar with people. And especially when times were, were tough as far as the team goes, as a player, you really respect, the fans that show up no matter what, but when you're not playing well and they're still there, you know, you have to be grateful for those people. And so when we are, you know, when we were, my first year there was 07. Um, I got called up that September and we were bad until that 2012 season, but I saw so many faces over and over again that I, uh, you know, you learn to develop trust because they're not just there when it's good. They, they actually know who you are and they're, they're really deep, caring fans and so when it was good and we were finally really good in that 2012 season the love that they poured out and you pour your hearts out for the players on the field you can't help but be romantic about it and want to win for them just as much as they want you to win and just as much as you want to win for yourself and your teammates and so there, there's love for that that fan base for that organization and and I hope that a baseball team is there for a long time because that area that that group of fans deserves to have it 
No doubt about it. It's great to hear your voice. I wish we could have had you, got to see you here with all the A's fans being able to watch, but you will always be a fan favorite. Let's do this again soon and continued success. Yeah, maybe I can update my uh, my AOL you know account and I can get the <laughs> off the dial up and we can sync up enough so I can uh, get on 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 TV for you. <laughs> that is so good. Thanks, Jerry. You take care, buddy. All right, have a good one. Good luck and let's go A's. Jerry Blevins, longtime left-hander for the Oakland A's, and you just hear it right there—the love that. Uh, a lot of these guys that went to battle in the green and gold, they will always love this franchise. It's the bottom line. There he is. What's happening? Hey, how you doing? I am doing wonderful. It's good to see you. What do you think of the set? Uh, it looks like you've done a little redecorating this season. Uh, it looks a little spiffier, I think. Yeah, we, we, we stepped our game up just for guests like you. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I need to decorate. You know, I've got some old uh, Barry Zito jerseys and memorabilia. I've got some old uh, batting helmets from the 70s. Uh, I guess I should uh, get with the program. I bet you've got some really old classic stuff. Yeah, definitely. You know, I remember going to uh, Helmet Day at the Oakland Coliseum. Sometime <laughs> Do you see my helmet up 70s. here? Yep. Hey, you know, I've got one where it's reversed. They've got the uh, the top is yellow and the bill is green, which is a very unusual uh, combo. You don't see those often. All right. I, you got to take us through this because and it bugs me it, now, ever since the ball club moved the AAA to Vegas. Mm -hmm. Every got Sky Bolt was the next great outfielder in the history of the game of baseball. Right. Like all, <laughs> there's always going to be. There, there's going to be this, you know, number. Shay Langoliers is the new guy, and we had Fran Reardon on, and Fran said, hey, listen, let me tell you, the one thing that's so fascinating about him is the fact that he is super fast. Like, legitly, like StatCast tells you he's super fast. What do we really, before we get into Shay and, and all the other aviators, what are we supposed to finally make of, now that we've seen it for years, make of Las Vegas and, and AAA? Yeah, well, you know, the, the PCL is definitely a hitter's league. You've got a lot of parks, not just in Vegas, but El Paso, Salt yeah. Lake, Reno, um, you know, definitely hitter's parks. So you have to factor that in. But that's why, you know, these sort of advanced stats where they're looking at exit velo and stuff like that becomes much more important because they can actually measure, you know, how hard is the ball actually coming off the bat as opposed to is it going over the fence in these, you know, tiny parks high at high elevation. So these things factor in and make a difference but with a guy like Shay Langoliers who you mentioned yeah he's hitting a lot of home runs in a hitter's park and a hitter's league but he's leading the entire PCL uh in home runs so e even if you know his he's aided by the parks in the league he's still hitting more than everyone else in the league you know so that that does count for something so what do you do with him I mean catcher but if he's got wheels, like Fran said, and it's showing up on StatCast, which is telling me this kid's a great athlete, I know I looked it up. He's played other positions. What do you do with somebody that's that fast and has all these tools? Do you really leave him a catcher? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think, look, obviously, if he can be a catcher, that's very valuable. And, you know, there was talk in the offseason of the A's potentially trading Sean Murphy, and it is the A's. We know everyone's not going to be around forever. But at this point, 
I think you'd agree the A's offense is not exactly uh, lighting things up. And if you got a oh, guy, oh no, 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 who- Bill, my numbers say different. <laughs> these numbers say these numbers. I mean. <laughs> Off the charts, how much the A's are scoring and raking. I think I think you're holding that page upside down. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, you've got a guy who's one of the best hitters in the Pacific Coast League. For my money, I'd say he's hot. He's on a roll. His rhythm is good. His timing's good. Why not bring him up? You can have Sean Murphy uh, and he both catch, both play some DH, both play some first base. You know, why not? give it a shot when a guy's hot and he's locked in and you don't have much offensive production, you know, I, I don't know what they're waiting for, but, um, you know, I mean, they, they obviously haven't felt the desire to force it yet, but, uh, at some point, if he keeps hitting like this, I think they're going to have to find a way to get him in there and, um, you know, help, help the offensive production of this team one way or another. I mean, he, he's been the best hitter in the A's minor league system. And like I said, one of the best hitters in all of triple A so far this season. All right. You remember the movie Moneyball where they go meet with Scott Hatterberg and, and, and Billy Bean, uh, Brad Pitt says, Oh, it's easy to play first base, right? Wash and wash goes. It's extremely hard. All right. It's easy. <laughs> it's easy to play anywhere. Give a guy a glove. I mean, <laughs> The one thing that is a reality is that all of these players, and I try and remind people this, that all of these players, they all grew up great athletes. They all grew up playing multiple positions. He's obviously a a guy that can go out to the outfield. If you could say, okay, we're not going to have you play catcher because I want your wheels to play every day. That's one thing that comes to the ballpark every day is speed. If his speed is as good as Fran Reardon's stat cast says it is, it's not the eye test, it's stat cast, where can we put him? Where can we say, hey, man, we're not beating you up behind the dish. We're putting you somewhere. Where's the best spot for him? It's kind of reminding me of Soderstrom, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think for a catcher, the most natural spot is always at first base. You know, I think that's the the easiest place to move a guy from behind the plate. And uh, no matter what Wash says, it's not that hard if you're a, a major league professional player and you've been catching, which is a very hard position to play. If you can do that, I, you know, you can figure out how to play a little bit of first base. But, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned Soderstrom because he hasn't been catching in the last week or so. And a lot of people have been wondering, oh, are the A's abandoning him as a catcher? But actually, he's just had a, a thumb contusion. He's had a thumb issue. So he hasn't been able to catch. Um, so he's been playing a lot of first base uh recently but that kind of goes to show you what happens when the guy's catching he can get banged up a little more easily and if he's a good hitter you know maybe it's better off to move him from behind the plate where he's going to get more dinged up and put him in a spot where he can you know be a, be a little safer yeah that's always an interesting what do you do with good athletic catchers and you know you always want to go he's craig Vigio, put him out of second base and next you know he'll be a <laughs> hall of famer but uh <laughs> Definitely this, you know, when the time – I don't know when that time is. When are we talking to David Forrest, by the way? Maybe on Friday. We're going to ask him, like, hey, what? I mean, how much does this kid got to hit for you? There's a reason why you traded for him before you do something. Nick Allen, very interesting, I think will be a mainstay at shortstop, could be second base. You know, we talked to Jim Leland. Jim Leland, because we're talking about Christian Pache going, this guy's struggling. Like, what do you do? And Leland said, I sent plenty of guys down in my career knowing that they had to go down, get some positive vibes going, 
and then they come back up, and the rest is history. And if you send a guy down and he never comes back, then he was never going to be that good anyway. I see right. Nick Allen being one of those players. What did you think about his time here, and what do you think about his future with the big club? Yeah, I mean, I think his his future is good. I mean, obviously, we know he can play shortstop defensively. There's no question about that. Um, it's just a matter of how much he can hit. And he has been, you know, he's bulked up a little bit. I don't know if you notice, he's a little bigger. He's been hitting the ball harder, which is a good sign. So, I, you know, I think he's going to get there offensively. Um, you know, it might take a little time, but I think the fact that he's hitting the ball harder, um, it's coming off the bat better is a good sign. You know, with little guys like him, him. Remember Billy Burns, um, you know, he had a little a little good time with the A's, but eventually, you know, he couldn't drive it into the gaps. He couldn't hit it off the wall even. So the outfielders started playing in on him and suddenly they're playing him so shallow that he can't even doink in those singles anymore. So if you're a little guy, you've got to be able to show that you can at least drive it into the gaps, get it near the wall anyway, so they don't cheat in on you and keep you from getting those singles that you need. And I think Nick Allen's been showing that he can hit the ball hard enough, he can get it into the gaps, get his doubles, not allow the outfielders to cheat in on him. So, you know, look, if he can get away with hitting 250 with some doubles, playing the defense he does, you know, he'll be a great addition to the team. So it's just a matter, you know, getting a little more time in AAA just to get comfortable. You know, he's seen Major League Pitching now. Hopefully he has a little better sense of what that's all about. But, you know, I'd expect that by the second half of the season, you're, you know, if everything goes as planned, that you'll probably see him up with the A's playing uh, playing shortstop on a pretty re pretty regular basis. I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't uh, have him do that, at least by the second half of this season. We had a very scary situation yesterday in game one of the doubleheader where you had a ball in between Pender and Elvis. They collide. Mm -hmm. Pender got hit with Elvis's leg in the face and his neck, and you're like, oh, boy, you worry about concussion, you worry about neck, back, that whole thing. And the yep. whole time, that's going down, and Katze, Paparesta, and everybody comes out, and, and they're looking at these guys. And part of me was like, here – is the major problem with allowing teams and baseball to carry 8,000 pitchers. <laughs> You've got no depth. You have razor, you have razor thin depth on your bench because you got so many guys down in the bullpen, and it's your guys' fault for making the game this way. And if both those players go out and we're in a doubleheader, what do you right. do? And that was kind of a question in the postgame show. Well, what really do we have at AAA? We've seen Christian Lopes. I mean, it is what it is, right? I mean, uh, who's down there? If, if some guys get injured and we're still carrying only 12 position players and you need guys to come yeah. up, who really is down there that's good enough to come here and help the A's win? Well, it's interesting because I was just thinking about that very point. By the way, you can say hello to my cat there. Hello, um, kitty. Uh, <laughs> how, how is the kitty? Uh, but but I was just thinking about that the other day. When I was a kid, uh, I remember teams would typically have 16 position players on the roster. Now they've often got a dozen, you know, which means you've only got three guys on the bench. So and one's a, a catcher. <laughs> it's a big, big difference. And um I don't know if you know, but the A's just released uh, Eric Thames and Buddy Reed from the AAA roster. So there's a couple of names down there that you might have known that that aren't there anymore. When did that uh, go down? Is that today? 
Uh, I believe it happened actually last night, uh, Buddy Reed and Eric Thames. I okay. think if you go to the A's uh, transactions page, you'll see it see it listed there. But they did just add someone you might know, uh, Matt Davidson, first yeah. baseman, third baseman, who's been around, uh, power hitting, uh, right-handed hitter. He was signed to a minor league deal, so he's now there at Vegas. He's a guy that could be you know, first base, DH if you need it, still has some power. I was glad to see they brought up Louis Barrera. I thought he was one of the guys who should get an opportunity to get get some at-bats. Um, besides Barrera, Davidson, Nick Allen, those are probably the top guy. Oh, Shea Langoliers, of course, uh, yeah. not forgetting him. Those are the top guys down there. Um, you know, after that, much of the depth is at double-A this year. I mean, you've got guys like Zach Geloff, Logan Davidson, Max Schumann, Jonah Bride. They're all hitting really well at Midland. And I think before long, you'll see some spots opening up in triple-A, and those guys will be up there, and they might be kind of the next round of reinforcements at this stage of the game. I totally understand. I don't like it. I hate it. I wish they would have dressed it in the CBA, and they didn't. And front office people will hate me for saying this. My apologies, Billy Bean and David Forrest and crew. I hate manipulating time. I think it's just <laughs> the dumbest. Like, can you just to, for people to understand how bad this practice is, can you imagine in other sports, we're going to draft Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Shaquille O'Neal. We're going to draft Peyton Manning, Barry Sanders, you name it, down the line. And none of these superstars, Lawrence Taylor, guys who came out and were just unstoppable, right? Can you imagine in those other sports that they went, nope, we're not going to play them because we don't want to, we don't want to make them free agents faster. What a crime that would have been to football and basketball. We're not going to play Wayne Gretzky until we can manipulate his service time. Can you imagine? Manip- I mean, it's just like the stupid. We may never have these players like Stan Musial and Hank Aaron and Willie Mays and these guys because we manipulate their service time. We stick them in the minors when they shouldn't be there. And that makes me think of Zach Geloff. We saw him in San Jose when the ports came here, and you're looking at this mm-hmm. guy tall, athletic, can play. I mean, he he was laterally could move. I mean, I only saw him for one game, and I watched a lot of him, and you could just see, and just to watch him hit, he's got all the tools. Manipulating a guy's service time who's a college guy, I think is stupid. Like, if he's a college guy, you got to rush him to the big leagues. Well, I think, I, I mean, your your point is right. One thing to, to take into consideration, though, is it is different in baseball football and basketball they can come right out of the college game go right to the pros well minor leagues the college is their minor leagues yeah yeah exactly so these guys there's a lot more in the development process in baseball so it is understandable if a guy comes right out of college and doesn't go straight to the majors i mean they used to try and do that with pitchers sometimes and it rarely ever worked out you know there is a certain amount of development that's required that's not to say that there isn't a certain amount of service time manipulation that goes on too but Zach Geloff was just drafted last year. Usually guys like that start out at some level of A-ball. So the fact that they're even starting him out at double-A this season is considered a bit of a push. Um, But, you know, some guys are more ready than others, and he certainly looks to be pretty ready. He's done nothing but hit. He's hitting, I think, 339 at Midland. Uh, I think as of last night, he was leading the Texas League in hits. And um, 
you know, he's just done nothing but hit. So hopefully if he keeps this up by the second half of the season, maybe he'll be up in AAA at Vegas. And, uh, you know, that puts him obviously just one step away from the majors. Also, just so you know, he's been splitting time between third base and second base uh, this year at Midland. So he does have some positional versatility. So he could, you know, potentially slot in a couple different spots for the A's at some point in the near future. Yeah, I mean, I don't expect him to get to the big leagues this year. But I'm saying, as a college guy, you're not supposed to be there that long. And the way that we deal with players, how many years do you want this guy? Because, trust me, we've talked about ball, new ballparks not till at least 2028. <laughs> and if things keep going, we could be 2029. Geloff's what, 22? I think uh, 22, 22 or 23. Yeah, 22. probably 22. Let's just start doing the math. How long, you, how long you want this guy? So that's why I, when I'm looking at it, you know, I understand that the next great A in a new ballpark may be in high school right now, maybe just entering college, right? That, that's when you just – that's just being realistic. So that's when I say Nick Allen. I want to know what the hell. Is Poisson going to be anything or not? Like, I want to know because these guys – May not be the answer for the new ballpark, but they could be the answer vaulting you into the new ballpark. So having a guy sit in the minor leagues forever, I don't know what that does for me. Well, also, you know, at this stage of the game where the A's are at, obviously we're in full rebuilding mode right now. So if there's ever a time to take a chance and roll the dice and see what you've got, it's a year like this. Now, I would expect that probably we will see a lot more guys get their major league shot in the second half. You know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of guys on this roster that the A's will try to unload at the deadline. If you're a veteran or, you know, you're in the last legs of your contract, like most of these guys are, I don't think they're going to be around in the second half. If they can get, you know, a mediocre low A ball player for some of these guys at the deadline, I'm sure they will. So I think you're going to see a lot of roster churn at the deadline, which means you'll then also see a lot of the prospects who performed well in the first half probably get a, a much better chance to play and show what they can do in the second half this season. So last night I was up late and I was emailing Cody an article that came out MLB.com. This is not going to shock you. It was it, so basically they pulled a bunch of executives and certain executives did reply and they had a bunch of questions for the start of 2022. Who's the best team? Who's the best player? All that kind of stuff. And then it came down to who's the most tradable guy at the deadline. Who do you think got the most votes? Oh, uh, well, I'm guessing maybe, it, well, I'm assuming it was an A's player. I'm assuming Frankie Montaz. Ding, ding, uh, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, I hold, if it's me, I'm holding him to the deadline. I'm, I'm getting just desperate GMs out there. There's going to be GMs yep. who are absolutely desperate. And when I mean desperate, some of these guys are going to be fighting for their jobs. So mm -hmm. you can find a GM that knows if he doesn't go on a playoff run, doesn't get to the playoffs, he could be losing his job. And if you think you're going to lose a job, you don't care about the prospects in your minor league system because you may not have a job to even enjoy those prospects. So find the most desperate guy. But I'm going to allow you, Bill, to be running the show for me. And you got Frankie Montas. You're going to trade him. You know our minor – you and Melissa Lockhart know our minor league system as well as anybody – 
What does our system need? You're trading Frankie Montas. What do you want to get back? Well, I'll tell you, as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing more value. And I think most GMs would agree with me. There's nothing more valuable than pitching. You know, you can sort of always well, almost always, uh, not this year with the A's, find a hitter. But uh, but pitching is so hard to come by, and it's become so much more valuable, and there's so many pitching injuries. The number of A's minor league pitchers on the IL is just ridiculous. So I think pitching is such a rare, valuable commodity. And if I'm trading a guy like Frankie Montas, I want to get a couple of arms that I can count on are going to be major league pitchers very soon in return. Um, you know, it, obviously you have to deal with different teams and see what you can get. You know, if somebody's offering a really valuable hitter, they're willing to give up that you really value. Hey, you'll take them. But for me, especially if I'm giving up a pitcher, I want to get a couple of good arms in return that I feel are going to be solid major leaguers going forward. And I think you saw the A's do that in most of the deals in the offseason. They really restocked the minor league uh, pitching system, getting, you know, Zach Logue and Adam Aller and JT Ginn and Ryan Cusick and Gunnar Hoagland and Joey Estes. That's what they really seem to be intent on doing and that's certainly what i would do if i was going to deal frankie montas get a couple arms that can really help you in the next year or two you know the fans are going to go bill come on i want a star i want a guy mm -hmm. who plays every day i want a guy who hits bombs who can run play defense doesn't strike out every time of the play why can't i get one of those guys I, I know it's a lot of fun, but, you know, pitching is really the name of the game more than anything. You know, I remember back when the, the Mets were trading going to trade Tom Seaver. And the theory at the time was that no starting pitcher was worth a regular starting position player, even Tom Seaver. And the Reds gave up like six, you know, uh, <laughs> non-starters to get Tom Seaver because they refused to give up a starting position player, even for Tom Seaver. But in the modern game, people know that pitching is really the name of the game. You know, you just don't see teams going to the playoffs or the World Series that don't have a good pitching staff. You know, that really is more important, even though it's far less exciting than seeing a guy hitting them out of the park. But you know what? Even Renato Nunez or Chris Carter can hit 30 home runs a year out of the park and nobody actually wants to put them on their roster these days so that shows you how much more important pitching is than than even power at this point in the game tom siever had a nice little career 311 wins a 2.86 era a 109.9 war he was a decent little pitcher actually recently <laughs> yeah. i don't know what i was watching i can't remember what it was but they were showing the all-star game from when what the hell? I don't know why it was on, but it was the All-Star game at Yankee Stadium where Tom Seaver is obviously a National League All-Star, but he's a National League All-Star as a Cincinnati Red. And mm. everybody at Yankee Stadium, because of he starred New York, he got this standing ovation, and it didn't stop. And he kept right. tipping his cap, and then he stepped back in line, went back out, tipped his cap again, and it was like, <laughs> I've never seen that before. That was a, that was a big league deal. Okay, um, guys, lower level, Poisson, Muncie, looking at these guys, who looks like going to be the real deal? And Poisson, are we 5.1 million? Is it ever going <laughs> to work out? 
you know, those, those, you know, Dominican teenagers are always a bit of a crapshoot. And, uh, you know, he's still 19, so who's to say for sure? But, you know, he didn't have a good year at Stockton last year. They've moved him to second base. You know, he's hitting about 220 this year in his oh. second year at Stockton. He's still 19. I mean, if he's going to pan out, it's going to be a long-term project. You know, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. So I, I wouldn't want to put too many eggs in that basket. But I'll tell you, there are a couple guys at Stockton that are really performing well, that are really exciting, that I think really worth keeping an eye on. Of course, last year's top draft pick for the A's, uh, Max Muncy, Max Muncy 2.0, uh, the shortstop. Uh, he's uh, he's just 19 years old at Stockton. He's leading the team in home runs. He's taking a lot of walks. He's getting on base. He's playing well across the board. His batting average is still a little low. He's sitting around 210 or something, but he's taking walks, getting on base, hitting for power, playing well enough in the field at 19. 18 years old in the Cal League and A's people I've talked to are very excited about the way he plays the game. So I think Max Muncy is definitely someone to keep an eye on and who will definitely be moving along a lot more quickly than than Robert Poisson. And another guy from last year's draft, the A's fourth round pick, outfielder Denzel Clark, has yeah. really gotten off to a great start at Stockton. You know, he's a big guy and he's got a really intriguing mix of speed and power. He's leading the team in both extra base hits and stolen bases. I think he's already stolen 10 bases, and he's a big guy. He's got power. I mean, it kind of makes me think of, you know, not to exaggerate, but he's kind of an Andre Dawson type, you know, like he's a big guy. He's got speed. He's got power. He kind of seems like he'd do anything. They started him in right field. Now he's been playing in center field. If he can stick in center field, that makes him even more valuable. But he's really performed well out of the gate. So I think Max Muncy and Denzel Clark, who are, you know, were both draft picks last year have performed well at Stockton. And then last year's second round pick, who we talked about, Zach, Zach Geloff, has been performing really well at Midland. So the A's last year's draft class has really been looking good. I mean, having, you know, those three out of your top four picks really off to tremendous starts their first, with their first full season teams is, is really a good sign. Well, I got to tell you, what you do for us here on A's Cast, we absolutely love it. I mean, this is such a pivotal time to find out what's going on in our minor league system and who are the who are the future A's who are going to help us get back on track. So we always love having you on the program. We always appreciate what you do for us for A's Cast. It's a great listen. Be well, and let's talk again soon. Absolutely. Anytime. Always happy to talk prospects with you, Chris. Take care. Bill Moriarty does a fantastic job once again uh, covering the minor league system, editor-in-chief of Athletics Farm. Well, he's an absolute legend, a titan in the game of baseball now. At Pitching Ninja on Twitter. Nobody better following the game of baseball and what's going on on the mound. And we love having Rob Friedman on the program, the Pitching Ninja. Rob, how are you? I am doing great. I think my camera isn't working, but that's okay, right? We got to see you. Where are you? I don't know. I'm trying to get this thing working. My computer is having problems. Well, let me tell you a story. It happened this <laughs> it happened this past football season. So I went to San Jose State and uh I'm at a San Jose State football game. The game ends and I'm walking down the stands. He's not there? He uh dropped out. He was there. His video was there and then it disappeared. And like no, he's back but it's not showing his video. 
Why is that? When you first when you first came on, when you're waiting, and no, well, he's gone again. When he, he's in the waiting room, it showed his actual video. Like he was yeah, there on I saw video. him. Yeah, and then now he's now it's not. We're video. working the kinks out, folks. Dude, I can't help you. I don't understand what's going on. This is. I mean, bad. I'm here to sell merchandise. I need to see the logo. <laughs> I'm trying to sell I your merch. I'm trying to sell your merch. I know. Come on, I'm going to keep working on it. All right. Well, I'll sell the story. Did you hear about San Jose State football? No, I didn't. I heard it started. All right. So I'm at a San Jose State football game. It's the end of the game. I'm walking down the the stands, and a guy has one of your hats on, and I go. Pitching Ninja. And he goes, you know? And I go, oh, I know the Pitching Ninja. I mean, so you're you talking about your merch blowing up. When I'm seeing it at a college football game, your merch out, at least out here, I don't know what the numbers say, but we see it now. We see with all the A's. I, I've worn your shirt on TV. Uh, A's players are wearing it. I see the hats in the stands. I hope you're doing well because I know out west I'm seeing Pitching Ninja merch. Well, I love hearing that. I mean, there's nothing better than seeing all that stuff out there. I still love it. Like, I I walked up to someone at the All-Star game who's wearing a Pitching Ninja shirt, and I was like, dude, nice shirt. <laughs> it's like, and he was like, you look like him. I'm like, um, yeah, kind of am him. So it was kind of, it was really cool. Like, I love it. Well, I saw the other day on Twitter, you've come out with a whole different line of different <laughs> colors and the trucker mesh hats, and it's like, your hats, what's great about them, they're good-looking, good design, go with a lot of different styles of clothing. You can wear them for golf. You can wear them for a baseball game. I think what you've done is you've created a line that really is something I can either wear a golf, ball game, going out to dinner. It's a slick look. Well, I love to hear that because, uh, see, you have great hair, though. You don't need a hat. Like my <laughs> hair, I, I shave my head. Like, I need to have a hat. I mean, I, I do this all for me. Well, you're doing it well. So I so check this out. When Ray Fossey passed, we decided to do a series during our pregame shows of all of Ray's old interviews. And we ran an interview yesterday with Ray and Sparky Anderson, the Hall of Famer from the mid-'90s, he was complaining about the bat, the baseball in the mid-90s. And now here we are today. You got Eric Chavez, the hitting coach, former A, hitting coach for the Mets, complaining about the baseball. Chris Bassett complaining about the baseball. You're doing all these analytics. And you're doing all these breakdowns. On, what's going on with the baseball? Dude, I don't know. Like, all right, so these are this is one thing. Like, it's handmade, right? So yeah. you get a handmade couch. It's going to be different every time we do these things by hand. You're always going to have kind of inconsistencies in the baseball. That's just one of those things. Now, the issue that you run into are there, you know, when you have different batches of them, like one year, they're trying to do one thing. The next year, they're trying to do another thing with the leather. It, they, they need to get more player input on this stuff and really work out the kinks before you just chuck a ball in there. It seems like like the ball is such an integral part of the game. And uh, I, I feel like it sometimes is done without much forethought because they think, you know, hey, it doesn't really matter. But it does matter. Well, yeah, it matters a lot because it is the most important part of our game. It's the how the game starts. Everything's about where the ball goes. Whatever the camera follows is the most important thing, and you're following the ball. And if the ball, if it's changing – if the seams are different, 
if the way just however it's moving. And that's the one thing I try and tell people all the time. The players understand equipment. I don't care if we're talking football, golf, whatever. Like a golfer, you give a golfer a different golf ball than he's using, and like let's say you gave him a golf ball that didn't have any of the logos or anything, he would know exactly this is not my ball. They know their equipment better than anybody else. And when the pitchers are all saying, man, different innings, the, the, the balls are different. And now the conspiracy is we're having different balls for primetime games versus regular games. This is just not right. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be those conspiracy things when you don't have a uniform thing. Everybody's going to say, oh, well, they don't like this team, so they're doing this with the ball for that game. I don't think they even necessarily, if you know, they, don't, they haven't thought that out. I think sometimes they think the ball is going to fly further and it doesn't because there's so many different factors aerodynamically that come into play, like higher seams fly, fly more in some situations, maybe not in other situations. So I think it's really tough to do intentionally. But the fact that it changes all the time gives rise to that conspiracy. Regarding golf balls, like, I I mean, I could tell my golf ball, but sometimes I don't really want to. Like, I'll pick up someone else's and just play it if it's a better lie, wouldn't you? No, you wouldn't do that because you're a good <laughs> golfer. I'm terrible. No, but I can tell you right now, if if I can tell, and I, I'm a hack, but I can tell the difference between, I can tell the difference between the different pro V's. Like some are softer, some spin more. But if you go a Callaway versus a Titleist, I can completely tell you the difference. And I'm a hack. So can you imagine a baseball player who touches that baseball every day? Every day he's playing catch. He's throwing bullpens. He's constantly has the ball in his hand. He can tell that, hey, this ball from three years ago, seams, weight, feel, it's different. They can tell. Oh, 100%. So I was hearing a conversation with some hitters, and they were saying – you know, I can pick up a bat, maybe my my usual bat's 32-5 or 32-4. And if it was, I could say this one feels a little heavier, this one feels a little lighter. And it was like a tenth of an ounce difference. So absolutely, the equipment matters. And I think we don't give that enough uh, credence. I, I, I just, I think the players absolutely can tell. Um, and you, you you have those issues with sticky stuff too, where players, some players were using something just to get some tack on the ball because they felt like they were, they couldn't get a grip and they were worried about hitting people. You know, others did it for spin, obviously, but you have folks that are legitimately worried because some of the MLB balls are just too hard and the seams were too low. So it was tough to grip them. Someday we'll work this out, but, uh, yeah, oh, tough, you don't want man. to get me started on that issue as a former pitcher. Nothing fries me more than you got your batting helmet, you got you got your elbow guard, you got a shin guard, you got an ankle guard, you got all the python, all the uh, all the pine tar, you got the sticky spray, you got batting gloves. We give these chumps every possible thing they can have at the plate, and all we get is rosin. That's it, <laughs> really. Why can't we have pine tar? Why can't we have a sticky spray? Why do you get to have all these advantages? And hitters will be like, well, that's different. No, it's not. You get to have all that. Why can't like, I Last time I worked in the NFL for years. Everybody in the NFL has the same pads, same helmets. You get everybody. A quarterback could have the same elbow, same form arm stuff that a defensive lineman does if he wanted. Why can hitters have different stuff than pitchers? I don't understand that. Not fair. Dude, I totally, I love it. I love you. That is exactly right. 
I don't think it's fair either. Um, you know, and 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 I do think like, hey, it makes the game more fun when you see the ball spinning like that and really nasty curveballs and stuff. Like, I I think it's cool. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you. Like, uh, hitter hitters get all the love. That's why I exist is to give pitchers love. <laughs> <laughs> this is why. This is what I was put on earth to do was to help the pitchers. Since we have, since I mean. I mean, now, whenever they, whenever I'm at a game or we watch a game on TV, it, it's such a half-ass check, the umpire with the pitchers down in the hand. It's, it's ridiculous. But have you seen what differences spider tack or copper tone with rosin, sunscreen? Ever since we supposedly outlawed this and are checking, what have you seen from everything that you do monitoring these pitchers? What's the biggest difference? You know, I think spin rate has generally gone down some. So you, you do have uh, the intended effect. I think you know, using sticky stuff definitely drove up spin rates, but I see pitchers coping different ways. So people realize like the normal rosin, you know it, it's, it's not particularly sticky unless you mix it with sweat or something. So you'll see a lot of uh, pitchers go into their hair or go into their arm, not to get something illegal, but to get sweat mixed with rosin, which makes with at least adds that tack and you can get those spin it's, rates it's a little kinda, back It's kind of, it's kind of, kind of, I know it's yeah. It's in, not, cold, it's, in cold weather it does nothing. Cause you're really not sweating. Right. You have to like somehow create some sweat. Um, and that's when you'll really see like under your hat, maybe your, your hair, hair will be a little sweaty, but yeah, that's the best you can do. Um, and it's a workaround. So I think people are, you, you'll see a lot of pictures sometimes go to their hair um, and, and spin rates went down and now they seem to crept up a tiny bit. They're still not where they were, but people are try trying to figure it out. I don't think a lot of pitchers are, I think when they put it down and said, Hey, everybody, you can't do this. I think pitchers listen to that. And I don't see a lot of, like, I watch folks and see what they're doing. And I don't think there are pitchers that are trying to break that rule. Cause if you get caught, you're screwed. Like that's your reputation for you know, for a long time. Now, uh, the commander is brought up at Pitching Ninja on Twitter and your breakdown. We know that uh, Polly Blackburn, Polly Kays, has changed his grip in the offseason for his breaking ball. You've noticed it's changed. He's got the ability to flip it in for a strike and he's got the he's got the hammer to strike you out with. What are the differences in your that you're seeing with Paul Blackburn? Oh, I mean, it's just, it, it's kind of night and day. He has been, I think he's opened up a lot of eyes around the country, just how effective he's been. That breaking ball is, is sick. Um, and it went, it, it just increased its uh, effectiveness a ton. Yeah. I mean, it is, uh, it, it is impressive when you see baseball across the entire deal now, because more relievers are throwing than ever before. We're seeing more sliders than any other pitches. Are you surprised by that? And will will we just con continue to see this develop more to where it's just going to be a slider game and it's not a fastball game anymore? I think I think it's been happening for years. So this is a great point that you bring up because obviously velocity has been increasing over years, right? Like you know, yeah. it, it's you're seeing more hundred mile an hour throwers, but hitters because you have to adjust to that velo you don't want to get beat on it you're sitting that so breaking pitches are more effective so you have more pitchers throwing breaking balls than fastballs because hitters have to fear the fastball 
Um, so yeah, I think you are going to see that. And I also think the slider works really well with kind of, you know, people were saying the two seamer sinker is dead. You're seeing a lot of them now, because if you, if you think about it, you think about how a slider tunnels with a two seamer, one goes arm side, one goes glove side. You can really set up some interesting scenarios where hitters can't pick up the spin. If you start it off the plate and you have the sinker that runs to the plate and the, and the slider that runs off. So it makes for a really good pairing of pitches as well. I know you're in a time crunch. You got time for one more? Yeah, absolutely. Can you truly explain tunneling from the standpoint of the pitcher and also the standpoint of the hitter? Because he's got to be the one that sees it, doesn't see it, and his brain's out to react, swing or not. Explain that to our audience. Yeah, so as a hitter, you're looking for a pitch. And generally, I mentioned you're sitting fastball. So you're looking for a pitch out of the pitcher's hand. Um, you really don't pick up spin. And that's what hitters have said almost unanimously. We give them too much credit for picking up spin. They may pick up something different in your grip um, as you're releasing it, but they don't really see the spin, especially with high spin rates. It's just a blur. So if you can throw pitches that kind of look the same by the time the hitter has to make a decision and they break differently, um, the hitter is you know, usually hunting a fastball. And if he sees it looking like a fastball trajectory, and all of a sudden it's a slider or a changeup that looked like that fastball, they're, they're, they're kind of hosed. Um, so if you think of a tunnel, those pit, those baseballs are going down a tunnel on the way to home plate, and then one of the pitches is exiting the tunnel. Um, and hopefully later then the hitter has to make a decision. So the hitter has to, you know, you can't, you can't wait for the ball to get to home plate to make a decision because you're going to be late. So you have to swing somewhere in front of home plate. And to the extent they look the same at that point, you got it. Like the, the hitter is, is hosed as a pitcher. You're trying to take advantage of that effect, which is mirror, mirror your mechanics. You don't want, you want to have somewhat similar mechanics on both on, on all your pitches. Um, ideally some don't, and that's fine. But if you, if it looks the same and maybe you even throw, you're seeing pitchers now throw the ball straight down the middle of the plate, like all, all their pitches and letting the movement take over. So you have a fastball down the middle and your, your changeup goes arm side, your slider goes glove side, and maybe you know, a two-seamer or something off of that or a splitter off of that. But you're just aiming down the middle, and that's tunneling right there, right? So you're, you're, you know, you're creating this triangle of death, I like to call it, for, for uh, hitters. Well, we love having you on the program. Uh, get out there, check out the merch, at Pitching Ninja. What's your website? Uh, PitchingNinja.com. That's that's easy, right? That's easy. The merch is there. You got shirts, hats. You got everything, right? Yeah, totally. And I I wish I had a working camera. That's my only yeah. <laughs> drawback today. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to like show because because your logo is great. Hey, if you wanna, can you see us right now? Let me try. Just hang up on him. He uh he dropped out to try to add it there to add to fix his camera. Here, no, 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 nope. Just the audio. Hey, if you want us to put some uh, Ninja merch down on the table to help sell it, let us know. We're here for you, buddy. <laughs> I'll send you some. I've got to do that. Yeah, right? we can put like a, a Ninja hat right right between us. It'd be killer. Yeah, y'all need to just wear one. Yeah, like, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You send me some merch, I'll pimp it. All right. we. That's a deal. Well, I told you I do these hits on NBC California for our pre and post game show. I was wearing your A's version, the green with the uh, 
gold ninja i was wearing that on tv that is one of my favorite color combos too to be honest like i love that yeah so i've already I, i've pimped you on tv hey let me tell you <laughs> you send stuff i'll take care of you <laughs> i love it all right buddy you be well thank you you too it's always great to see you the pitch you can't see me though so. yeah we want to see you next time we gotta <laughs> this figure is this terrible out. <laughs> well then let's do it again soon absolutely take care take care man the pitching ninja it's great to have you back on the program How have you been so far this first start of the season uh things have been great you know baseball's been super fun lots of good stories i'm enjoying it so far yeah, you know, you look at a lot of the stories and there's a lot of interest, whether on both coasts. And wouldn't you say that's probably been one of the things that's been really good for the game of baseball is that you have like the American League East. You got the National League West. You got both coasts with a lot of great baseball going on at one time. Well, I mean, I would say that, right? Like if you look at the, <laughs> the big markets, yes, the Mets and Yankees are good, right? The Dodgers and the Angels are good. The the Giants are pretty good. I don't know that the people in the middle of the country would think that way because the centrals are both pretty rough. But yes, if you like coastal baseball, then it's been fantastic. Well, let's start out here. And we're seeing it right now is what we've always thought was a possibility is now a reality. If guys are healthy for the Angels, if they get pitching, boy, that could be dangerous. And right now they're going to be coming here over the weekend for a series and you look at Trout's being Trout again. It's like every night he's got two home runs. And Otani, whether he's striking out 11 guys or hitting two bombs, it's all coming together for them. Are you buying it? How dangerous really are the Halos? I'm mostly buying it for now. And I think part of that is because Otani has only looked kind of okay at the plate, right? Like he's been fantastic as a pitcher, but you have not seen the same hitter as you saw last year. So if you get that version of him to come back at any point, then yeah, they're going to be good. Like it comes down to the same, I think two things it always comes down to, right? Is will Trout stay healthy, which he hasn't the last couple of years and he has so far this year. And will anybody pitch? And that's the part that's been interesting so far. I know Reed Detmers threw a no-hitter, and that was super impressive. And not to take credit away from him, that doesn't make him like an ace in my mind necessarily, right? Like it's a young guy <laughs> who's shown that he's talented, uh, and that's really good. I mean, I've liked Patrick Sandoval there for a while. I think he's really talented and good. I think Rysel Iglesias is one of the most underrated relievers in baseball. He's really good. So I'm impressed with what they've done. And what you, I think what you need every year for any of these teams is someone unexpected to show up, right? And so far, that guy's been Taylor Ward, who's been fantastic. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, when you're when you're overshadowing Trout at a certain point, that uh, that tells you a lot. And and when you look out west here, I mean, obviously the NL West. Oh, you know what? I want to get one more thing on the Angels because I remember I also do stuff for our NBC affiliate here, NBC California, which our games run on, and I was trying to be not the old school get off my lawn guy if you remember back Padres and Giants at their early part of the season Giants got out to an early lead a guy stole a base early then a guy bunted in the sixth inning next you know Bob Melvin our old friend and Matt Williams they're all flipping out in the Padres dugout and the whole unwritten rules you remember that game I do, of course. Right? So I brought it up going, are you kidding me? Play the game. Stop it if you don't like it. A bunch of people got mad at me. Even Dave Stewart goes, I didn't see Willie Mays do that. Let me take you back to last night then. Are we now, if we're going to be get off my lawn, unwritten rules, stop playing the game when the score gets to be a certain, and it's Bush League if you're bunning or stealing bases, what about a pitcher on the mound, Maverick, our buddy Brett Phillips, 
And then, okay, hitters got to still hit. But then you got uh, Rendon going up there, hitting left-handed and knocking it out. I'm like, wait a minute. You're going to get after me for saying it's okay to keep playing the game, but the integrity of the game is when you got a you got an outfielder on the mound and a guy hitting left-handed for the first time. He hits it out. Oh, it's great. Wait a minute. Willie Mays never did that. Willie Mays never hit left-handed against a position player. So where are we on the integrity with a pitcher throwing and a guy getting up there hitting left-handed for the first time? I don't know, man. Now you just got me thinking about if Willie Mays could hit home runs left-handed because I bet he probably Hank could. Aaron get up you know, there lefty. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, you you tell me if I missed something, right? But I didn't see any complaints coming out of either dugouts about that last night. You know, everyone seemed cool with it. Nobody seemed to have a problem. Like, obviously, you got a position player on the mound. Let Rendon hit the other way. I, I, no one was throwing at anybody. No one was complaining about it. I think if you go back a couple of weeks, there was the issue with the Giants and the Nationals, right, where they were complaining about that. And I think the score at the time was the Giants were up by, like, I don't know, six or whatever, and the Nationals were complaining even though the Giants had put up all of their runs in one single inning like an hour beforehand, as though like that's a big enough lead. I don't think the uh, unwritten rules are as big of a deal anymore. Like That's just not the way the game is played. All the better for it. Like That doesn't serve anybody. I, I, that's what I said a long time ago. I got hammered for it, and I'm like, look at last night. You got Phillips tweeting Trout on Twitter. I mean, it's fun. It's engaging. It helps bring the younger folks into the game. I thought it was good. Stay, staying here out west – Obviously, the National League West, everybody over 500. Everybody's playing good baseball. Uh, good luck to our friend Bob Melvin, who's going to be undergoing a surgical procedure. Uh, going to be away from the Padres for just a little bit. But there's the Dodgers and everybody else. The everybody else, do you see any of them staying with the Dodgers for the season? I do. I think the Padres are for real. The fact that they have hung around this far without Fernando Tatis is a really good sign because I, I think what's happening there is if you look at them, Manny Machado is playing at an MVP caliber level, which I certainly think he can sustain. Eric Cosmer's playing like wildly over his head, right? Yeah. So wh when he comes back down, which he almost certainly will, that'll be about the time Fernando Tatis is coming back. And I think that's going to work out really well for them. You know, all credit to Hosmer for helping them stay afloat in what looked like kind of a tough spot. You know, like the offense going into the year without Tatis I was, sort of seemed a little underwhelming to me, you know. So Hosmer's done really well. Again, credit to him for that. Haseon Kim has done a pretty good job on both sides of the ball, filling in at shortstop. And what they've really done that I liked a lot was, if you remember the starting rotation at the end of the last year, they had to go find Jake Arrieta and to go find Vince Velasquez, and it did not work well. Well, they went out and they made some trades and they are full of starting pitching. Like Mackenzie Gore has finally arrived. I like the starters a lot and they're not the Dodgers, right? But they're the clear second best team in that division. And I say that even though I do believe in the Giants, yeah. they're not 107 win Giants. They've had a lot of injuries, uh, but I, I do believe they're for real. And, you know, I'm not going to say that I think the other two teams can stay above 500 because they won't, although they're off to good starts. But, yeah, I like the Padres. Yeah, the D-backs out of nowhere, and our buddy Tori Lavello, former A, is doing a great job down there. And, you know, we, you know we don't like the Giants, but you do got to give them their due, especially after the season they had last year. You know they're going to be there. Switching to the other coast and something that uh, has been a lot of fun for us, uh, us baseball dorks, is we, we're able to tune into these games starting at 4 o'clock you know, well before our games start. And you just, like, you're watching right now. You had the walk-off bomb last night. 
for the Yankees and the spirited series between the Yankees and the Toronto Blue Jays. I know it's just a quick two-game set, but the battles they've had already this year. Uh, you, you know, we, we've dealt with the Rays now twice already. We know how good they are. Just talk about the American League East, how competitive. And the one major disappointment would be the Red Sox. Yeah, how do you like the Orioles not being in last place in that division? And you can't hit home runs. At, you can't hit home runs at Camden Yards now. <laughs> no. I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself just a little pat on the back because yeah? I never bought into the Red Sox in the first place. I I did oh. not have them as a playoff team, uh, but that was mostly because I didn't trust their pitching in any way, and that's that's come true a little bit. But I'm shocked at how poor the offense has been. You know, Bogarts has been fine. Devers has been fine. Story's been a mess. Verdugo's been a mess. I'm I'm surprised at how quickly that's gone downhill. And you, you know, you can't totally play yourself out of a playoff spot in a, uh, a league with six playoff spots this early, but it's pretty close, right? So I'm down on the uh, the Red Sox coming back. When you look at the East, though, like the Yankees are for real. And I think what happened was uh, the vibes were bad is the best way to put it, right? Yankee fans were so annoyed. They didn't get Correa. They didn't get Seager. They didn't get Freddie Freeman. They didn't get the big guys they wanted. They got Josh Donaldson and Anthony Rizzo. And Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who are, are good players, but you know they're not top-tier superstars anymore, and it's it's worked out. I think not enough people look at the bullpen on that team. Everybody knows Raldis Chapman, right? Not enough people know Michael King, who is unbelievable, or Clay Holmes, who is unbelievable, or Nestor Cortez, who's a starter who has just turned himself from you know this funky kind of like Sid Fernandez-esque lefty to someone who's like actually really good. It's going to make an all-star team. I think so what they've done with their pitching staff has been super impressive. So let's head over to our friends in the central. And would you say maybe the biggest disappointment this year so far is our good friend, Tony La Russa and the Chicago White Sox. I, there's part of me that's wondering uh, who's managing that team come the all-star break <laughs> to be honest. Wow. Things, things have gone really poorly and it's not all his fault you know they, they've had injuries right like Jimenez is hurt as has happened before and Andrew Vaughn is hurt and Lance Lynn is out and it's like that's totally fine but uh, I'm struggling to think of a off-season decision that looks worse right now than them declining to offer Carlos Rodon a qualifying offer and letting him walk away for nothing because Rodon looks like the dude you know he looks unbelievable for the Giants and then when you look at what's plagued the White Sox yeah again injuries sure uh, but their defense has been just wretched, right? Like the eye test, any metric you can think of, they're just, they're not playing good defense. And, you know, if you know me at all, I'm not the type to go to fundamental baseball, but that, that is what they're failing at <laughs> right now. You know, they'll be better. Lance Lynn will come back. G Lito's great. They'll get healthier. I, I have confidence that the guys will hit, but I, I don't know how they're going to improve that defense. Cause I can tell you what made me laugh, right? Gavin Sheets was playing right field the other day. He made this just brutal error in the first inning. And basically the response is, well, he's only playing there because, uh, you know, he's a first baseman because Jimenez is injured and Andrew Vaughn is injured. And it's like, yeah, but that's basically a DH and basically a first baseman. So if those are the reasons he's in your outfield, that's a bigger problem. All right. Let's end on this. The analytics crowd. And you're one of them, and we love you for it because your articles are fantastic and we love your work on MLB Network. But what are we going to do when guys don't hit? And this game, and this game turns into strikeouts and walks, and everybody's. I mean, if you've looked at our lineup, two thirty, we would take two thirty with a lot of guys in our lineup. What are we making in the analytics crowd? Batting average doesn't matter. Well, obviously it doesn't because nobody's hitting. When what are we now at two thirty one or two thirty as a league? 
Yeah, I mean, it's not just that, right? Like, I think in April, we had the lowest league slugging percentage for a month since like 1992 or whatever, you know, and everybody is following the story. The, the balls are not flying as well, whether that's the ball itself, whether that's a change in the humidor, like it's it's probably a combination of multiple things. But I don't I don't know that it's realistic to expect guys to just start hitting like it's 1985 overnight. You know, that's not what they've been trained for. And the fact of the matter is, ball or not, pitching is a lot better than it used to be. You know, it's it's hard to hit. It's hard to make contact. It's hard to put the ball where you want it to. So I think it's really unfair to say, well, uh, we're not going to put any limits on the pitchers. But now you batters, we expect you to hit, you know, like you used to hit without any training for that. I think that's unfair. So I think you're going to see a lot of this this season. But the one thing that stands out to me is every time there's a ball that goes out and you think it should be a home run and it dies at the warning track, right? It sort of depends on what your comparison point is, because if you look at the baseball from, let's say, 2017 to 2020, which was, you know, mostly a powerball, and that's what you think your normal is, then, yeah, everything is going to be disappointed. But is this what baseball was like for, you know, decades before that? It's just kind of an interesting thing, because I remember everybody was annoyed with how many home runs we had in 2019. It's sort of hard to please anybody. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. Yesterday, we've been playing because we we lost Ray Fossey, obviously, and he did all these interviews all these years. We played one yesterday because we're in Detroit. This is way back Ray Fossey and Hall of Famer Sparky Anderson. And Sparky Anderson, way back in the 80s, complaining about a juice baseball. And a lot of things he was complaining about, we've heard those complaints. So it's like, it doesn't matter what decade. It doesn't matter what era. People have been playing. People have been complaining about the equipment, especially the ball, it seems like forever. Yeah, I didn't hear that interview, but I'm guessing it was about 1987, right? The year that Wade Boggs hit 28 home runs out of nowhere. And I think if anything, if I learned anything the last couple of years, it's that the we have the equipment and the technology now to measure these things. And that doesn't mean that this is the first time this kind of stuff has happened. We just didn't know it before. Like you go back to weird home run seasons like 87, 1930, Uh, Probably like Brady Anderson hitting 50 whatever home runs that one year. And people are like, oh, well, he was using a little helper. And it's like, okay, but did he just stop that the next year? You know, I I bet a lot of this was about the ball over time in ways we just never knew about. Hey, great stuff as always. We truly appreciate it. We wanted to have you on with the new set. So you got to see the new digs. It's fantastic. I wish I'd known. I would have turned my little purple light here green because I can make it any color I want. But next time. Oh, that is nice. I like that. You can do whatever you want with that. Yeah, I'm going to do it live on your air here, which is super good television, but let's see. Here we go. (laughs) I love that. We need to get one of those. Hey, great stuff. We love reading you. We love watching you on MLB Network. You be well, and we'll talk soon. All right, guys. Thanks. Take care. Zach Logue is going to join us coming up here. Boy, what a start he's had, huh? Come out of the bullpen, get your first W in your debut. Immediately, they send you back down. They bring you up. And then two really good starts, first career win. And I remember texting Alex Jensen, who was doing the games in Detroit. I'm like, what, what's there not to like? All he does is come out. He gets ahead of you. He throws strikes. He's obviously very competitive, and he's going to join us coming up here. And I wonder if it's got that hockey mentality, but whatever it is, He's definitely not afraid, and he's taking advantage of his situation. And it's something, as we've talked about this year, being the year of discovery, he's definitely a guy we want to see more of, and he joins us now. 
Welcome to our set, Ace, Crash, Ace Cast Live. I'm Chris Townsend. I do all the Ace stuff. And uh, welcome to what we do here on Ace Cast Live. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. So how are you feeling after that last start? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, you know, I, I felt a little bit more comfortable out there than uh, the start in Minnesota. Um, so I was able to, you know, have a little bit more control of myself, kind of attack hitters early. And uh, I thought that, that made a big difference getting, getting ahead of a lot of guys. Well, that's one thing that, that I've really enjoyed. We talked about that with you and Adrian Martinez with the fact that here you go. You know, the for you now, you, you've already got the relief appearance. You got the start. So, But for him, adrenaline's pumping. And really, for you guys back-to-back -to, -back, to not walk anybody, yes, zero runs is the best. Right. But not to walk anybody, especially when you're someone who's not out there trying to strike everybody out, that's key for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, that was a big emphasis for me last year. Not that I've walked a ton of people, but just limiting those free passes is huge because, you know, you give up a free pass and then a, a blue pit and then a, a single and that's a run, maybe two runs and you, you know, could have got out of that with zero or, or one. Um, so yeah, just limiting the free passes, I think kind of helps to limit those big, those big innings. Just talk about what it was like, debut, W, sent back down, and then you just, after that, you don't know. You know you're probably going to come back, but just what was that like? Yeah, um, so yeah, I went up to Toronto, which was obviously my former team. I, I didn't get in there, but it was cool to see with some of the guys that, that I had come up with and stuff like that. Uh, came back here, was here for the home opener, which was awesome, and then got in the next day. Um, had some family in town, which was awesome. But yeah, there was uh, there was definitely some nerves going. I'm I don't normally come out of the bullpen, uh, so that was a different routine for me, especially. But uh, I just wanted to go out there, fill up the zone, kind of attack guys, and see what happened. And uh, it was a 1-0 ball game, so it was close. So I knew I needed to, to you know put up a zero. Um, went out there, was able to do that, and then Castellani came in and got me out of a bit of a jam. And then, uh, yeah, I just happened to be in when we scored those two runs, so yeah. kind of lucked into that win. But um, to have it all happen in the same game was pretty pretty special. And then you come back, and then here you go again. You know, now you're starting. Obviously, that's a whole different ball game. Coming out of the bullpen, you went down there. Yeah, yeah maybe a good idea you're going to pitch or not, but now you're starting. Now you're back into your routine as a starter, going from the hotel, getting here at a certain point, when you play long toss, when you run, how you warm up. What was that like? Yeah, um, I definitely feel more comfortable with that. I've done that pretty much my entire pro career, so I kind of have that routine pretty set in my mind, which you know put me at ease a little bit. But, you know, you go out in Minnesota, it's a pretty big park. There's fans there. I definitely had some, uh, some jitters going the first couple innings um but you know i was able to limit some damage there and then i was able to settle in but yeah i felt a little bit more comfortable coming coming in on the start so right now where you are after a couple starts just how do you feel confidence wise in what you're doing and what you're working on and having that confidence that you've showed us basically you you're fearless yeah uh kind of like you said when you come up here you don't really know how the stuff's gonna play you know it it may work in the minor leagues and what you do there might not work here but um you know you you throw some good pitches you execute what you're what you're wanting to and you get the results you want that definitely builds confidence um so for me it's all about executing pitches and yeah like you said i i like to come after guys i don't mind pitching inside uh no matter who's at the plate um i think that's part of what what makes me good and part of what i have to do given that i don't I'm not throwing 95, 96 out there, so I kind of have to be able to move the ball around, mix it up, and uh, use the entire zone. There is a whole lot of information in baseball. I mean, you can get everything you want on every single player. We're looking over the Angels right now. Yeah. You can get everything you want, and it's all through baseball, more obviously here at the big league level. 
How much do you delve into it to prepare yourself? Are you one of those guys that is like all about watching video, all looking at everything, or is more just about you? Yeah, I, I definitely have started to watch a little bit more video. Um, I think in the big leagues, there's guys that have you know pretty pretty impressive strengths, and you want to know what those are. Um, but a lot of it for me, I think, comes down to just executing a good pitch. Um, one of the things that I think you got to remind yourself is that no matter where you are, hitting is really really hard. And uh, coming after guys, mixing it up, you know, mixing up location and pitches and all that stuff, uh, at the end of the day is probably still going to win no matter who's at the plate. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely a little bit, you know, a little bit more research done before a start, I think, up here just because there are guys that are that good. There is a pitcher that comes on this program all the time. He's a Hall of Famer, Tom Glavin, uh, a hockey guy, was yeah. drafted. Uh, who's he drafted by? Was he drafted by the Kings, right? Yeah, yeah, because he talked about how he'd go to replace Luke Robitaille on their on the line. Yeah, he's better than bump, bump, Luke Robitaille. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and he's always talked about, you know, in hockey, a very physical game. And I covered the Sharks for years. Mm -hmm. And there's something about hockey players is a different mentality. You're a hockey guy. Yeah. Talk about how hockey helps you on the mound. I'm 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 curious if it's similar to Tom Glavin, <laughs> the Hall of Famer. Yeah, um, I've, I've talked about this before with some other people, and I think hockey is just such a – it's such a, like, you got to be mentally tough. you got to be physically tough. It's just kind of like a blue-collar mentality, and you might go out there, you might take a slap shot off the shin or off the foot, but you got you got to finish your shift uh, for your teammates. So I think – you just got you just got to be tough no matter what's going on around you no matter if you're playing well or your team's playing well you can just you got to control what you can control and uh, go out there and kind of have that bulldog mentality so were you a goal scorer <laughs> um, I kind of I was more of an assist guy I played I played wing so I was happy to feed it to the guys that had a little bit a little bit better shot than I did you didn't have the pop huh <laughs> didn't quite have the pop <laughs> You know, I was I was a bit of a late bloomer, so I was kind of small. Not that I'm huge now, but yeah. I was really skinny and stuff like that. I was pretty fast, but no, I didn't I didn't quite have the pop that some of the bigger guys on our team. Did. Yeah, there's there's definitely a toughness you got to have to play that sport. Mm -hmm. A lot of you know, out here we don't know. We don't grow up on frozen ponds <laughs> in California, but there's a there's a mentality, especially a toughness to play that sport. Yeah, yeah, I, I love hockey. I still love watching it. I wouldn't say I follow it super closely, but I love it because you know those guys are out there and they're putting their bodies on the line for their team and uh, that's just something you really got to respect and I, I love watching especially the playoffs it's a lot of fun independent ball changed your career how so in the the COVID 2020 season i didn't i wasn't invited to the alternate site for the blue jays so i was just kind of stuck at home and you know the first couple months i was playing catch and throwing bullpens with some friends in the area but you know you can only get so much work in doing that and uh, there was a it was the Florence Freedom and the Lexington Legends. They put together a little four-team league, and a bunch of pro guys and you know just normal people just came and tried out and wanted to get a little baseball in over the summer. And uh, the competition actually ended up being pretty good. Uh, Brandon Phillips played for one of the teams, so I got to yeah. face some, you know, some some real some real guys and some guys that played Double A, Triple A at the time. Um, so it was really, really good to get that comp competition. And that's kind of when I developed my cutter. And seeing reactions from that was huge going going into 2021 the next year. Yeah, I remember, you know, we had the guys that went down to San Jose. It's the San Jose Giants, which is obviously with the San Francisco Giants. But mm -hmm. we took over that site and, you know, like Cap was there. We talked to a few guys that were there and it was like great for them, but 
Everybody else? I mean, like, what, what, what the hell is everybody going to do? Exactly. It's like you, you lost a year of your career. So mm-hmm. that's kind of always been a question. What did everybody do? We know right. some people retired. Some people went out and got jobs. Yeah. I mean, that had to be so tough for all of you guys. It was. It was tough because at first we went home and we're like, oh, we'll be at home for, you know, no more than two weeks and then we'll come back and we'll just start this thing back up. And then, you know, a month goes by, a month and a half, two months goes by and we haven't heard anything. So there's just so much unknown and, you know, we're not getting any younger over here and you can get old in this game really, really fast. Um, So, yeah, the unknown was really, really hard, but I'm glad I got to, you know, get some game experience and not lose that that feel for it um, for an entire season. You know, for me as a former pitcher, I was a short right-hander. You understand what short. Um, What scared me about the cutter, especially always playing against metal bats in college (laughs) versus, uh, it's like if it doesn't really cut that much, this thing is just, at least with a slider, I know it's a strikeout pitch. I got, I'm, I'm, I'm. Once you get that, though, it's amazing how it doesn't move that much, but hitters just, they don't react well to it. They yeah. just can't barrel it up. Right, right. And I'm even though I don't throw super hard, I'm a guy that, that throws a lot of fastballs. I have, you know, I trust my fastball a lot of the time. Um, so, you know, I got to double in 2019, and I got, had guys that were just selling out to heaters and, and barreling them up pretty good. So I knew I needed something to just get them off the fastball just that much. And like you said, it doesn't move a ton. Um, but it's you know it looks like a fastball the majority of the way and it gets off the barrel just that much to get to get off and jam them or swing and miss or whatever it might be. Were you at any point maybe this is just us who have been around the game a long time now are kind of shell shocked that we don't allow pitchers to pitch, <laughs> even though that's your job is to pitch. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden I saw like my God he's at 94 pitch like he's still out there. Is that weird to you guys? Because for us, we were so used to guys going 120, 115. Mm-hmm. They now don't allow you guys to pitch. Were, were you shocked you were still out there? Um, you know, I figured they might let me go out there for another one and kind of be a batter-to-batter you situation. Were cruising. Yeah, I, I felt good. I think that was part of it, and we had a big lead. So I think with the doubleheader the day before, and then we have a doubleheader tomorrow, trying to conserve that bullpen was is big. So I think they're just trying to let me get as many outs as I could for the team. Um, I figured. If a guy or a couple guys got on, I might come out. Um, but, yeah, like you said, in the minor leagues even, you know, you're not really not going past 90 pitches. Um, so it was good to kind of – it's nice to go out there and know it's kind of your ball game. You know what I mean? You're you're going to go until you can't go anymore, basically, which is, which is what I think a lot of us enjoy about pitching. What has surprised you the most about being at the big league level? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's – there's some, you know, there's some things that I, that did. It's the same game, you know what I mean. It's still yeah, baseball. Baseball, yeah. Um, you know, I think you see all these guys on TV, and uh, you think, oh my gosh, they're so good, and and a lot of them are, but it's still baseball. Um, so I think, you know, how, knowing that is kind of comforting, you know what I mean. But I mean, it, it's awesome. They treat you so well up here, and the guys on the team, and the coaches, and the staff all over here have been awesome to me. So yeah, I got I got no complaints. Yeah, I mean. Last series, Miguel Cabrera, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, Mike Trout, when it's all said and done, is going to be one of the greatest players to have ever played. Mm-hmm. Shohei Otani, God, we have – I mean, it's crazy what he's doing, yeah, right? I mean, it's, it's just like – it's like every series, you know, for the most part, you're playing against somebody or 
or you're playing against a certain team where you just it, there it's wow it's the best of the best in the world it is it, it is surreal you know I, I obviously knew Miggy was in the lineup that night but you know you kind of walk around and then all of a sudden they announce Miguel Cabrera over the loudspeaker and you're like oh oh gosh like he's about to step in and I gotta I gotta go after him so that yeah that moment that he stepped in was was pretty surreal and yeah you look over on the other side and they got Trout and Otani and all these guys so it is it is a little bit surreal to share a field with with those guys but like i said it's still baseball and we're all going out there and having fun well i've talked about this year as the year of discovery and let's find out the guys that can help us win now and let's you know the guys that can help us win in the future i see you as one of those guys you keep putting up zeros i mean you go to emerson you go to cots you're like hey I'm ready to go every five days, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the goal, like you said, is we want to help this team win, and uh, that's what it's all about in the big league. So, like you said, just trying to put up zeros, trying to go deep into ball games, and give our, our guys a chance to win and, and finish it off for us. So, uh, yeah, that's what it's all about, just trying to do my best. Let's end on this. So we did the Mark Kotze show earlier today, and he told us about the team meeting. That really hadn't gotten out, but he wanted to talk about it now. Yeah. Just what was that like? What did it mean? And how did it help you guys in Detroit? Yeah, um, so basically the message was early early in the year we were playing with confidence. We were, you know, I, most people don't expect a whole lot from us, and I think we kind of took that as a chip on our shoulder. People were playing with confidence, going out there trying to prove some people wrong. And then, you know, at, at home I wasn't here for most of it, but, you know, a few things didn't go our way. And, you know, you can, you can get down in the dumps. It's a tough game. Um, it's a game of failure, like everybody says. Um, so he just wanted to, to to get across that we need to play with confidence. We need to play with a little bit of swag. And uh, I thought Paul Blackburn did a great job. He went out there and, and gave us an awesome outing and uh, put up a ton of zeros. I, th I don't think we gave up any runs that game. And, you know, we just went from there. We played with a little bit of confidence. And, you know, I love watching Tony Kemp over there at second base. He plays with a ton of energy. Pache plays with a ton of energy. So you get those guys going, and it just kind of gets rolling from there. Hey, awesome stuff. Great to meet you. And hopefully we're doing this for years. Absolutely. That would be years. awesome. That would be perfect. I we would love it. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.